my fellow Westorians. Welcome back. It's Sunday, Blood Magic Sunday. In this episode, we will look at all the examples of blood magic and those who use it, what types of spells and effects it has, both in general and on the story. We'll talk about its origins, the societies and cities known for it, famous examples from history, legends and lore, that sort of thing. Feel free as well to give us your favorite examples because it's not always easy to tell what counts as blood magic and what doesn't. That's something we'll be discussing as well. There will be a little bit of House of the Dragon info mixed in here. When I wrote this, I said a few bits, but as it turns out, there's really just one. And it came straight from George through Ryan Condal, so that's cool. Game of Thrones, on the other hand, it cut out a lot of what we would call blood magic, or really just magic in general. It went its own way in a few other spots, and sometimes it stuck to the book. So there's not a lot to add there. So we, we, there's no discussion from the first TV show in this one. As well, we shall include a few examples of blood magic we might expect to see down the road or people who we might expect to use it, if, even if we don't know what precisely they're going to do. Magic is fun in part because it's used sparingly in this world. And as with most things, it has George's care and brilliance behind it, plus the influence of the genre. In this case, we're dealing with one of, if not the most evil forms of magic. It certainly feels that way. Generally, throughout the story, characters react to it with revulsion and extreme prejudice from a variety of different cultures. This isn't just Westerosi that react this way. And in their world, it isn't just superstition. It's as real as it gets, and there's quite a lot of it out there for us to discuss. Indeed, you might be surprised at what we consider blood magic or what we don't. That'll lead us to talk about sacrifice a lot, mostly the cases where blood and or death are involved. The sorceries, those who cast them and why, the price they paid or the price that someone else paid. Phrases of note like, there is power in king's blood and only death may pay for life. All that and more on this episode of History of Westeros podcast. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How's it going, Sean? Welcome. What you got? You got a little... I hope you have a red drink for us today. That would be appropriate. I do, indeed. This is pretty blood red looking, yeah, I think. Right, well, matches this my shirt. The, the rainbow naked drink mixed with watermelon Mountain Dew and a bang, but I forgot what flavor. Might have been peach mango. Mm. But the bangs are clear anyway. The blood red is coming from the rainbow naked drink. Heck yeah. So we And the blood. And the blood, yes, Sean. <laughs> put actual blood. I forgot to mention that, yeah. Yeah, you always put blood in there. It's easy to forget. It's Sunday, Blood Magic Sunday for us. Is it Sunday, Blood Magic Sunday for you too? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Shout out to our good friend Nina. Her blog is goodqueenally.tumblr.com. There's one L in Alley. And the latest blog post 
on her site is a question about Isabella of France and parallels with her and Alyssa Valarian. Alyssa Valarian, super interesting character. You're going to want to find out where some of this inspiration came from because Nina agrees that there is some part inspiration there, at least part, maybe even more than that. Check it out, goodqueenalley.tumblr.com. This episode was voted on by patrons. We'll tell you what's coming next at the end of the episode. Did you know that Martin's world is so robust that covering one topic often teases several others? This one in particular has <laughs> so many other episodes. At the end, I'm going to read y'all like 10 or 12 episodes that we pop up here because, well, blood magic pops up in a lot of places. So it's a very big list this time. Also at the end of the episode, there's a trivia question. Well, an answer. The question is here at the beginning. And it is, Melisandre, Solice, Daenerys, and Miri Mazdur all say the phrase, only death may or can or could pay for life at some point. Who is the only male to use that phrase in the series? Only one. Answer at the end. You said in the intro that we might surprise you on what we think is or isn't blood magic. We might not be on the same page of you're, what is or is blood. You're right. It's a debatable point, I think. We'll talk about that some. There's no ultimate uh, authority on this, so it's all just yeah. our own personal opinion. None of us are actual blood magic practitioners, so <laughs> we are not experts giving advice here. That you know yes. of. <laughs> that you know of. Uh, I wouldn't let you know I, if I knew. <laughs> Interestingly, in prepping for this, I used a search of Iron Feist. Uh, <laughs> Iron <joke>. Feist, yes. <laughs> Iron <laughs> And I didn't get any results. <laughs> no wonder. Wow. <laughs> We're leaving that one in. Iron Feist. <laughs> so anyway, on a search of Iron Feist, uh, <laughs> I searched for blood magic. I got no results. I think there were some results where like the word blood and magic were used in the same three-paragraph span. But I also realized in some of those results, wait, blood magic is like one word. George uses it in one word. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's really interesting. So, even still, there are pretty limited results of yep. blood magic coming up together. And sometimes it'd be blood mage is one word. And the word magi got used a lot for Miri Mazdur. A lot of the results came from that segment with Danny or Danny remembering back to that. Yes. And magi comes up a few times too. But it's still pretty limited mm -hmm. for how much we have to talk and think yeah. about this. It's not specifically referenced very often, but almost every time it is, it's like a Pandora's box of thought about yeah, it coming out. Absolutely. It hits hard when it pops up at all. And you're right that it isn't mentioned straight out, which doesn't mean the presence isn't there because it isn't always called blood magic. It isn't always someone standing there narrating going, that's blood magic. You know, yeah. uh, rarely is I learned blood magic in my way. youth, and now I'm going to execute it right with which, this specific manner under the power of this God and these materials. Like, no, yep. it's all just like vague references that we have to kind of like imagine up or construe from, you know, which is part of why we don't always know what is and what isn't, what counts, what doesn't count, but that's part of the fun. So, here, let's get us started here. Quote from Kyburn and Cersei Blood magic is the darkest kind of sorcery. Some say it is the most powerful as well. Cersei did not want to hear that. This magi made certain prophecies. I laughed at them at first, but she foretold the death of one of my bedmates. At the time she made the prophecy, the girl was one in ten, healthy as a little horse and safe within the rock. Yet she soon fell down a well and drowned. Fell. Melara had begged her never to speak of the things they heard that night in the magi's tent. If we never talk about it, we'll soon forget. 
And then it will be just a bad dream we had, Malara had said. Bad dreams never come true. The both of them had been so young that it almost sounded wise. (laughs) Damn, Cersei. (laughs) (laughs) Fell down the well. Yeah, okay. That's what happened. But really, but still, you get the point here. This is, even Cersei is chilled by this. And Kyburn is, you know, he knows some things about magic. This, of course, is Maggie the Frog they're talking about and the prophecy coming true of her friend being killed and then more prophecies coming true about how many children Robert would have and and how many children she would have and all these other things. So magic tends to function, function in quotes, by drawing on a source. That's usually how it's expressed in varieties of fantasy worlds. George's world seems to be similar in that regard, even if it's a little less distinct or a lot less distinct, maybe. So it's usually a natural element like earth, wind, fire, and and do you remember? It works in any month, not just September, though it does appear to be seasonal, or at least some magics do. I wasn't just randomly making that joke. It does appear to be seasonal, right? Like magic seems to ebb and flow in its power and in certain places around the world. Elemental magics may be more dependent on weather and climate than, say, something like blood magic, which maybe just depends on the blood of the person, which is less temperamental, I suppose. Simply put, blood magic is magic that uses blood as a source. If that quote from Kyburn and Cersei is truthful, then blood is perhaps the most powerful of all the sources, more powerful than earth and wind and fire and all that. And Kyburn is more of an authority than most. You get magical street cred when you successfully pull off necromancy. So I think he knows more than most people. Still, necromancy is not blood magic and blood magic is not glamours glamours is not skin changing skin changing is not prophecy there's lots of different types of magic being knowledgeable in one doesn't mean you know the other it's like that old mitch hedberg joke oh you're a chef can you farm like no (laughs) (laughs) you know like yes they're both food related but they're entirely different skills of the magics we see, which are and are not blood magic, yeah, like we said, it's somewhat up to the individual. Sometimes it's pretty clear, but sometimes it's not. So we'll try to get some understanding and, and maybe learn a few spells of our own. Do try this at home. Yes, please do. I want to point out there's also some crossover, not just between different types of magic, but between magic and science. Oh, yeah. What Some of what Kyburn's doing might be magical, but some of it might just be scientific. You might just understand some elements of biology. Gregor wasn't totally dead. His heart was still beating. Maybe he's brain dead. But maybe he's got something to work with scientifically, but also you throw in some magic. Yeah, and the heart of science is producing repeatable results, right? And if you can produce repeatable results with magic, then you can categorize it scientifically, even if you can't categorize like every part of it. I mean, which is true for reality. We can't categorize everything that exists. So magic has to be involved. If you want to call it blood magic, that should be obvious on some levels. For example, simply sacrificing someone while cutting their throat. You know, that's not necessarily blood magic. Unless it produces some magical effect, then you could arguably say that, well, that's that's blood magic. It produced an effect. I also do think, I'm not 100% on this, but I think that blood magic doesn't necessarily have to be actual blood. I think blood Mm. could mean life. And burning someone at the stake at least potentially is blood magic. It's at least in the same realm. Yeah. I think it's a debatable point. I'm not sure about this, but I think it's a reasonable point to make. I think that's a that's the perfect example, actually, Sean, I think is burning someone at the stake is whether that counts as blood magic, whether that like if, if Melisandre does that to Shireen later, is that blood magic or is that fire magic or is it both? 
it's a little bit of semantics. It's not super important to figure that out, but it is fun to discuss and maybe gets closer to the answer. So fun to discuss yeah, little so f- girls being burned. <laughs> yeah, so fun. <laughs> it's the best, really. We love our, that's, that's what Sundays are for. Yeah. One example I think we have here that is, seems pretty likely to not be blood magic yet is expressed as if it is the Gascari in their gladiatorial games. Here's his Darzo Lorak. Actually, no, this is Danny repeating his Darzo Lorak. The fighting pits have been a part of Marines since the city was founded. The combats are profoundly religious in nature, a blood sacrifice to the gods of geese. The mortal art of geese is not mere butchery, but a display of courage, skill, and strength most pleasing to your gods. Right. And his star, of course, being the funny guy that he is, he's like, oh, you've quite convinced me. <laughs> we should read the funny. She's just like, I've heard your argument so many times I could say it myself. And then there it is. I just see how it could be blood magic, by the way. Say it's something that could evolve. Let's say that you knew on some scientific level, some magical level. Maybe it's just a custom and there's no magic to it all. But for whatever reason, they know or they believe that if they kill someone, maybe on some certain date or some ground, that the crops will grow mm-hmm. the next year. Yeah. Well, might as well make a contest out of it, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> might as well sell tickets. Yeah. Like, it still could be blood magic, even though it has become a game where to the average person, they think it's a gladiatory fight or a show of courage. But the people who originated it or, or behind the organization, they might understand that we need this blood to be spilt. Yeah, right. Like if there are gods sitting up there and they are pleased, how would we know? <laughs> you know, if they are angry, uh, we know. I mean, I think his dar is just saying stuff, but I can't be 100% sure. You know, maybe the gods of Gis really are there and maybe they really do care about what's <laughs> the gladiatorial games. Also, even if his dar doesn't believe it and is just being manipulative, what matters is if his people believe Yeah, it, and his people do right? believe, seem to, do seem to believe it. That's true. That's a very good point. What's real and what people believe are important dichotomies, especially with, with magic and superstition, especially when magic is real. Whether or not all examples cited are examples of magic, some of them are. So whether or not this Gladiator Games is a example of blood magic, it is a good example showing something that is probably not blood magic and a form of sacrifice that's probably not blood magic. It sets the example anyway. Human bodies are fragile enough that blood just gets spilled when things are happening. We get scraped. If I'm cut, do I not bleed? Yes. That doesn't make it blood magic. (laughs) It isn't like vase dothrak where if no blood can be spilled and if it is, then boom, that's blood magic. But speaking of the dothraki and vase dothrak, as you said, Sean, a lot of our best examples come in book one with Danny and Mary Mazdur. That's when you actually hear the phrase blood magic uttered a few times. And there's, it's almost as straightforward as we ever get. So here we go. Quote, right before she hatches dragon eggs from the pyre. By itself, the blood is nothing. You do not have the words to make a spell, nor the wisdom to find them. Do you think blood magic is a game for children? Well... Danny played the game and won. She's arguably a child mm-hmm. in that moment. But Miri died thinking it wouldn't work, which is pretty ironic. She turned out to be quite mistaken. Miri pointed out Danny didn't know anything about blood magic. But while Miri herself is a practitioner, as we've said, she's probably no expert. There's such a wide open topic of magic where there's surely things that have not been discovered or discovered by very few. She wouldn't know it all. But this was really a miracle, according to George, anyway. So spell probably isn't the right word. 
which is also why Mary Mazdur couldn't have seen it coming and why Danny was compelled to do it was partly because of dreams she was having and, and other things that are almost certainly not blood magic, but probably magic. It could be a miracle and be blood magic. Yeah, that's true. Uh, for example, let's say that every morning the blood mage cuts their daughter's finger and drips blood on corn, and the next day the corn is gold. Mm. So let's say that's blood magic. But say one day you do the same thing and the next day your whole crop is gold instead of just the corn on the table. Like, well, that was blood magic, but also a miracle. The blood magic usually doesn't work like that. You got a miraculous result this one time. Yeah, and if you did, you would like try to maybe do that again. Like, whoa, that we grew so much more food. Yeah, (laughs) okay. Soon we got science. Exactly, did you do? (laughs) Yeah. What exactly did you do? Let's let's (laughs) document this process. Did you have the camera running when you did that? (laughs) Uh, Also, to be fair, though, Mary Mazdur was trying to save her own life, so she may have been willing to say whatever, Mm -hmm. just to do anything to get unstrapped from that pyre, because she could clearly see what was about to happen. Also, she seemed to think it was blood magic. She did. You're right. They were being burned, but maybe blood had also been drawn. Maybe she doesn't know or distinguish. Well, Danny told her, you you told me only death can pay for life. She's like, you can't just throw this stuff in a pot and stir it up and expect (laughs) it to work. Like, what are you doing? Well, but it did work. Nina says, for what it's worth, Mary might not have been wrong for what she thought Daenerys was doing if she believed Danny was trying to resurrect Drogo. Because Mary didn't know what this pyre and all that, what she was actually trying to accomplish there. And she didn't ask. <laughs> she just knew. I'm not so sure Danny out. knew either. No, she did, she probably didn't exactly yeah. know. You're right. <laughs> she was having the dreams, and right in between losing her child and hatching the pyre, she had those fever dreams. And before that, she was having dreams that were less intense, but building up to this. So yeah, there's all sorts of stuff going on. Lots of additional context <laughs> to this moment. Maybe that's the key to hatching dragon eggs. You can't realize you're doing it. You can't yeah. have that intention. <laughs> but Danny was trying to hatch. Like Danny probably was trying to hatch dragons, even if, she, even if she wasn't fully conscious of it. But Mary didn't know that, which is an important distinction. Nina continues. This was a spell no one could know the words to. Probably, if there are any words to it in the first place, and because the last dragons died almost two centuries prior, and dragons probably didn't need rituals to hatch <laughs> before that. <laughs> I mean, not the ones during like the the dance, not during the House of the Dragon era. We never, there's n- no hint of anything like that. Dragons just hatch like animals do, like eggs hatch. Occasionally they don't because there's something wrong, but that's, that's how regular eggs work. And Mary Mazdur was called Blood Mage and Magi, Magi, Maggie, <laughs> especially when casting the spell for Drogo, which involved the sacrifice of his favorite horse. She was cursed f- for her having the aspect of a spellcaster before that, though, the Blood Riders and other Dithraki were just like shunning her. We're like, no, don't let her do anything. They had a, they were very predisposed against anything she might do. And that was just for offering to heal him, right? But when it was too late to go farther, Danny turned to the forbidden, quote. There is a price, the God's wife warned her. You'll have gold, horses, whatever you like. It's not a matter of gold or horses. This is blood magic, lady. Only death may pay for life. Mm, yes. Interesting too, isn't it kind of peculiar that this humble, peaceful woman that lived in like obscurity and simplicity learned blood magic in the first place? Like, yeah, she went to Ashai and you could see that some of the things she learned make sense. Like she learned all these birthing spells and fertility spells for crops, but blood magic. And that's kind of what you're talking about, Sean. Like, yeah, that's maybe it's one of those things that's, 
sounds evil, often used for things that were revolted by. The process is, is uh, it doesn't make it look any better. But if you're only using it for like growing crops or helping people deliver children healthy, then that's fine. That's good. But maybe she wasn't using blood magic for that. Maybe she was using other spells, but also she knew blood magic. Right, but why would she have learned it in the first place? Like it doesn't, yeah, it, it takes, I a, don't know. it's not something yeah. you just like pick up at the corner. Like, oh, I, I accidentally <laughs> picked up, I picked up a little blood magic. It's like you live in Thailand for a while. You might pick up some ties. You might learn the language a little. I don't know if you just pick up blood magic though, by being around, like being around blood mages. Like, Depends on what corner you hang out on. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's peculiar to me. Nina writes, for what it's worth, we pretty much know nothing about the Lazarine culture other than that they get called peaceful a lot. So what they do with blood magic might be, well, they're a peaceful culture. Maybe they have found peaceful uses for it. You know, if you're just sacrificing an animal and it really works and grows a lot of crops, that might be a little gross. But like, what, who are we to look down on that? I mean, we eat meat. Well, you don't, Sean, but most of us do. A lot of you all listening don't, but similar thing. You know, what's the difference? Oh, they said some words and... The blood fell into the earth. That's so much worse than a slaughterhouse. No, actually, it's probably slaughterhouse is probably worse, actually. So anyway, let's, yeah. move, let's move on. <laughs> so consider the burning of Mary Mazdor herself as part of the hatching of the eggs. This is what you're talking about, Sean. Is this is that blood magic? Or is that I mean, it's a miracle. So there's a whole nother thing thrown in here that just is hard to to categorize a miracle <laughs> while also yeah. trying to figure out what sort type of magic it is. It could be a mix also, yeah, you mix. know, that could further clutter things, if you will. I think about this constantly throughout this thread. To me, there is supernatural power. And, and a lot of times, for example, like in D&D or in a lot of fantasy worlds, there, there's magic, if you will, but there's also like the power of the gods. Like there's many different types of mystical powers, which a lot of times get broken down into magic elemental type stuff and then mystical supernatural type stuff, you know, yeah. but there, that doesn't mean they can't be crossover yeah. or that George Martin's world works that way. But, but I, in my mind, I still feel like there's different ways to tap into these supernatural powers. Yeah. And one way is green scene. One way is blood magic. One way is priest of lore. but a priest of lore might also tap into blood magic Certainly. and so on, you know? Yeah. So I totally agree. And I think, and Melisandre and, and the, what we know about Valyria, it seems to be explicitly true what you're saying. And it's, it's not, I think it's beyond theory at this point. Like they say, all Valyrian sorcery is rooted in blood and fire or Melisandre doing things that clearly other red priests can't do or pretty clearly other red priests can do, but they all have other like fire magic that they seem to all have in common. So yeah, I totally agree. It's like you can cross the streams, like Ghostbusters reference there. And a lot of times there's this idea of like which religion is real or who the one true God is, even if there is only one that's real or one true God, which I suspect in the first place, it still doesn't mean there can't be different beliefs or factions that tap into the magic differently, right? right. They have different rituals or understandings behind it, or that one God is the real true God, but some other God could still truly exist and have power and it you know they're not they don't have to be mutually exclusive and maybe if you are more honorable to one guide you'll get granted more power from oh, it right yeah, like yeah. maybe melisandre gets more from relor because she's more devout but it still doesn't mean she can't also get something from shadow binding or yeah, whatever else, absolutely totally you know? agree yeah well said on top of all that there's also just chance of coincidence yeah which one might true. be might just happen or be misunderstood or be manipulated like melisandre it's not a stretch of a guess that Joffrey's going to die. 
right? right. Like her predicting Joffrey's death is not that, you know, like she could just get lucky on that. Mm-hmm. You just predict a bunch of stuff that's probably going to happen anyway. Yeah. And then once it happens, you claim you predict Classic correctly. fortune teller trick. Yeah. 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 Classic. And, and, you know, we know Melisandre does that type of thing. Other people might also, whether they even realize it or not, they might just be, have a passionate feeling that they call a prediction, but it's really because their subconscious understands it is true, yep, you know, yep. or likely or whatever. Yeah. And to make matters more complicated, Melisandre says there's power in King's blood. We'll discuss that more in detail later in the episode, but just to introduce that concept and say, well, was she implying or saying that different types of blood produce different magical results? It's like, well, you need King's blood for this one, but for that spell... You need the blood of a cobbler, you know, or a, <laughs> a fisherman or something. I don't know. Or a, a child or a virgin. Yeah, or, there's. Know, all, like, we've all heard the stories. <laughs> like already there's a, a, an assumption, right, that human blood is going to be more powerful than goat's blood yes, or whatever. Absolutely. You know? That's king goat. King goat. Yeah. So what do you <laughs> is, trying is, to... is, Yeah. A normal human more powerful than the king of all goats. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> making even more complicated here. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so we have examples from the distant past when sacrifice is involved, where we just don't know whether there was a magical result, right? Like there's all these stories of hundreds of captives were sacrificed. Like, well, maybe there was magic as a result of that. We don't know. Like how would the Citadel know? A thousand years later, they may have said magical things happened, but the Citadel may not believe it. They may just write it down and say, well, that's what they said happened. I don't, I don't I'm not here to challenge it, but so that's kind of our groundwork for this in-world explanation. It's all, it's a partial one anyway. And the reader's world building perspective as well. It works. It serves as, as both of those, but on a story level for the in-world characters and how they view it and for how it serves the story, blood magic is a form of power in a story that has a lot to do with power. Themes of control on both the grand and personal scale are abundant. It certainly comes up a lot in Valar Reredus as a theme. We discuss that. I feel like one out of every three or four episodes, it comes up in, in detail and in passing the rest of the time. You're not unlikely to have encountered discussions on power in a Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire, well before you ever found us. Not to mention, you may have just noticed that on your own and thought about it quite a bit. It has so many consequences human consequences. And I don't just mean the sacrificial victims, though, shout out to them too. I mean that blood magic is known and shown throughout the story to have side effects on the user, if not those around them. This is true for real power too. In a fictional world or the real one, the pursuit of power can come at the cost of more fulfilling pursuits of family, of health and happiness. It's often phrased as you sold your soul for power. Blood magic is that sort of more literally expressed, but it's a very similar concept. It's this the same, it's the that version in a fantasy world. Those who achieve their power-centric goals are often unsatisfied, alienated, distracted by the need to maintain what they have, which often leads to a renewed pursuit of power, i.e., the cycle begins anew, begins again. Blood magic serves as a great metaphor for all this, a dark, great metaphor for all this. It's a more straightforward and brutal version of it where people and the occasional animal are sacrificed instead of things like trust, kindness, empathy, joy, peace of mind, everything else you lose on the cyclical road to power. I just sounded like that speech from Andor, didn't I? (laughs) (laughs) Whether it's your humanity or literal humans being sacrificed, the costs are revolting to us. We know it's wrong to do it, yet... The payoffs are huge in terms of 
defying the possible, not in terms of things like wealth or power, regular power, although those two maybe, but in terms of just doing things that shouldn't be possible, defying reality. That's what makes it so, that's, that's the big payoff with magic and in blood magic in particular. Yeah, I was going to say blood magic in particular, because I think that in general, magic should, like for good writing, for good fantasy writing or whatever, magic needs a cost. Yeah. If everyone could just do it willy-nilly, it's not special. And there also start to be like implications on how the world would work that are hard to be realistic about, right? Yeah. But when it requires a cost, it makes it more difficult to do, more risky to do, and to get a greater effect it requires a greater cost. Like when that, that, that's to me like the crossover to blood magic. It's one thing if for magic, you need to like wait for the third full moon of the year and have some sage brush or whatever. Yeah. But it's that thing to have to like kill your son or you yeah. know, like those are much different are costs. You, I was, are uh, you familiar at all, Sean, with Brandon Sanderson's three laws of magic? No, I know that of Brandon Sanderson and I know that magic is part of his world but I would like to know his three laws. Okay, well, interesting is the second law is what is directly related to what you're saying. The second law is limitations greater than powers. Just a simple equation, just limitations greater than the powers themselves. But the first law, an author's ability to solve conflict with magic is directly proportional to how well the reader understands said magic. <laughs> oh, that's um, and, So these are like meta rules for writing, yeah, for not writing. so much like his, okay, um, yeah, yes, well, this is good. Yes, but the third law is, and it's just three simple laws, but the third one is expand what you already have before you add something new. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, just, just a, a little bit of thing. But but the, I, I, my, my point was the second law is, I think, maybe the one that George leans on the most, the limitations being a point of conflict. Because I think he certainly has added, uh, he has added more new things and not expanded on what he already has. I don't know that he follows the third law. (laughs) Also, it's ironic that Brandon Sanderson performed blood magic to learn those three rules in the first place. He spoke to some being from another another dimension to give him that (laughs) forbidden knowledge. (laughs) So it's also just the level of defiance of reality that I think matters. It's one thing to just conjure a miniature burst of flame for nothing that would be magic if it came from nowhere without spark or anything compare that to like seeing the future both are impossible but (laughs) one is i don't know it just seems more impossible (laughs) you know or just just a lot more powerful either way so both are impossible but one just seems a lot more useful and and grand and so one one there's starting a fire in your hand out of nothing it seems like there's a way to reproduce that even yeah. if it's not magic i could have some like chemical that reacts must be a trick. Some yeah friction yeah i could come, but there's not like a trick there's not some way to alternatively predict the future <laughs> yeah. you know yeah, like, like you could do oh, it with this have... trick and this chemical or you can use magic you can do it with this where there's not some way to predict the future other than magic yeah just read my three simple tricks yeah. to predict uh, yeah yeah i mean actually you're, you're actually right because when i think about something like there's a lot of science fiction and all that where it, it extrapolates yeah. the natural step of being able to predict the future using science. And so, yeah, there actually, there, there definitely are like sci-fi worlds where... Even if there are like theoretic yeah. ways to go about that, they're still harder to comprehend. Uh, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, exactly. It just like blows your mind as to what's possible. That's a great way to phrase it, Sean. So another way to think about this too, literally speaking, if we're comparing political power to blood, to magical power, Blood magic is impossible while political power is not. But in the real world, in terms of achievability, there's not any 
functional difference for you or me or most of us. I'm not going to be wielding any great sort of political power at any point in my life or any sort of blood. I mean, they're both completely Not with that out. attitude. Yeah, not with that attitude. You're right. Uh, <laughs> I've given up already. <laughs> <laughs> I still think I could be a great source of political power. <laughs> don't, don't count me out. <laughs> and that's part of why I work so well in story form. Not with my blood. <laughs> <laughs> because casting spells is unbelievable to me. But so is a throne and ruling an entire land and controlling the entire economy and whether they go to war and all the just and everything like that's also just pretty unbelievable to me. So it fits really well in a story with grand elements like that, even ones that are technically possible in the real world. And I, again, I'm talking about a real throne, not the Iron Throne, but throw that in there and gets all the cooler and grander again. I, I use the word grand a lot today, but it works. Grand. Yes, it's a grand topic we're dealing with. Darkly grand. And of course, those parallels are not the whole story. Let's do as we so often do. Go back. Wiggly, wiggly, wiggly. Back in time. Examples from myth and legend. The story of Azor Ahai and Nissa Nissa, as has been expressed many times on this show and elsewhere, sounds a lot like blood magic, doesn't it? <laughs> you got to... First, it was just water. That wasn't blood magic. Trying to stop the... You know, cool the sword off with water. That's not blood magic. But then cooling it off in the heart of a lion... It's getting pretty blood magic-y. And of course, you wonder how he made that. He'd be like, hmm, water didn't work. Let's try mm, the heart of a lion. That's, that's the natural next step in the progression. Third step in the progression clearly is your lover. You go from water to lion <laughs> to lover. Everybody knows that's the one, two, three process for forging. You just totally skipped over hamsters. <laughs> well, you, wouldn't totally do, skipped yeah, you wouldn't do heart of a snake. That doesn't seem <laughs> yeah, like a Yeah, snake very... would definitely not <laughs> yeah. get the job done. <laughs> Even though we've deconstructed this story many times in many different ways, Azor Ahai, we don't want to go too far with that. Azor Ahai, even if it was an evil deed, Azor Ahai wasn't an evil person, I don't think. I think Azor Ahai was, it wasn't doing this for malice or personal gain. They were doing it to save the world. They just did it wrong. <laughs> or maybe they didn't do it wrong. I don't know. It just, it seems wrong to us. Nina says the story of Azor Ahai raises the fundamental question with any sacrificial magic, including blood magic, when, if ever, is it okay to sacrifice another person for the sake of specific magical ends? If Davos, maybe the closest thing the books have to a moral center, is horrified and disgusted by the story of Azor Ahai's sacrifice of his wife, it suggests to me the author disagrees with the morality of the Azor Ahai story as well. Like George is kind of telegraphing that, yes, he doesn't agree with this, the goodness of this either. It's not okay to sacrifice someone else even to save the world is perhaps the message that he's putting forth here. Or at least he recognizes it's a conundrum. Yes. Right? Yes. Because a lot of times, even like the most quote-unquote noble or good characters, they're still flawed. They're maybe still making a mistake that people might suffer from in their attempts to be good. That's something that George does, yes. right? And I've danced around this before when we talk about the idea of this world is just different and our morality not might not apply if you really could sacrifice someone to cure cancer or whatever, yeah. you know. But I thought of this as another way to express it. Let's say that if someone could kill an innocent person and it would save cancer. <laughs> save cancer? No, no, we're trying to get rid of it. <laughs> it would cure cancer. It would, and, well, this magic yeah. is evil. <laughs> we got to save cancer, you guys. It's almost Even if that is... <laughs> Let's say that that is wrong or bad, but someone feels like it's worth it, even though it's wrong or bad. Then I think that person, if I think it's worth killing this innocent person, 
to save everyone. Well, I should also think it's worth sacrificing myself yes. to save everyone. Yes, exactly. And so yeah. I should be willing to face the death penalty. I kill this innocent person. Everyone's cured of cancer. Then I'm put to death for murder. That's yeah, what should yeah, happen, yeah, right? Yeah. I think. I mean, so. the person who was killed unwillingly for save to, to to cure cancer might not be the most happy person there, but maybe that person was also a willing participant in the activity and said, "Yeah, hey, kill me, just save every, you know." Which, and, which yeah. all dissonance did that? Exactly. That's why I'm say, okay, saying yeah. like that Good is call, that yeah. that's the case. But I, you know, I, I do think there's an argument where, yeah, even if that person was unwilling, like, say, curing cancer. Uh, yeah. Part of the story too is how it's framed. Everyone's like, well, the man did this, the man did that. Well, maybe she brought the idea to him in the first place. You know, maybe she said, hey, do it on me. This will save the world. You know, and he's like, no, I can't do that. So yeah, it's, it could still be an evil deed, but if she's just like, you're just the, he just swung the sword. You know, like, is that, we don't call the hangman a murderer when they're doing justice, right? And if not that this was necessarily yeah. justice, but again, it's a, it adds another angle to the conundrum aspect to it all. But we're also getting a little bit away from blood magic with that. <laughs> <laughs> the Bloodstone Emperor. We go to the Great Empire of the Dawn stuff. That's apparently necromancy is what he was accused of and, and dark arts, which could include blood magic. I would, given the overlap and difficulty of categorization, there was probably some blood magic going on. But it's interesting to think about that Dead bodies, if they've been dead long enough, don't have blood in them at all, right? Or is that... I don't know how that would be classified scientifically. There'd be traces. When does it stop being blood? Yeah, like cold hands, yeah. it's all congealed and frozen. And yeah, I don't know. That Maybe maybe I'm speaking out of turn with that. We got to ask We got to ask Thoros about <laughs> that. He's need to have a line for <laughs> Beric versus Lady Stoneheart. That's true, that's true. <laughs> There's tales of Garth Greenhand demanding blood sacrifice. It's another take on the old stories because they're and this gets into the whole like crops and fertility versus sacrifice and whether that's forms of blood magic because that's all that is wrapped up in the legend of garth the myth of garth greenhand of everywhere he goes fertility happens is like well is he how exactly is it happening is it just he's walking around and wherever he goes more like row or more like garth redhand oh. right? <laughs> <laughs> no it's actually grosser than that it's it's garth brown hand yes mm. well, think about what helps crops no soil i'm talking about soil get your head out of the toilet your head out of the toilet <laughs> ew uh, connecting garth Greenhand with legends of the old gods which maybe there's a more of a connection there than is generally expressed. Yeah, is it blood magic to offer sacrifice to a werewood? If the trees hunger for blood, is that just, is that magic or is that just they're hungry? <laughs> is that just sustenance? Is, is there magical? The trees are already magical. Is giving them food more magic or that's just food? Is uh, it blood yeah. magic when vampires eat? <laughs> that's exactly the question I'm asking. Yeah. Is it blood magic when vampires eat? I would say no, that's just eating. The, the magic came about in creating them in the first place, but not just, it's not magic to sit down to breakfast. Although <laughs> breakfast can be pretty darn magical. But you maybe you could argue it's magic to keep the undead alive. And yeah, the way yeah. you do that is by feeding them blood. That's an interesting like argument. A, yeah. And, and again, you see why this is tricky. <laughs> By the way, so folks, I didn't include it in the episode, but there's like a page and a half at the end of this episode document, which is about 18 pages long today, I think, where I just tried to write out all the forms of magic that exist in this world. It really took me back to my 
Dungeons and Dragons days, <laughs> you know, where you're just like, everything is classified. Also, Brandon Sanderson with his magic systems as well. Did you include the magic of reading, of, of imagination? <laughs> no, but I should have. <laughs> That's big, the greatest magic of them all. Big oversight on my part. Yeah. There's some cool ones like shadow magic is umbromancy, but George just thought shadow binding sounds cooler. <laughs> I, was uh, like, eh, I think he, George right. is right. Shadow binding does sound yeah. cooler. <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of them. There are a lot of forms like things that he mentions that never we don't actually see anywhere like aromancy, although maybe when the red priests control the wind for that could be aromancy, a weather control, maybe that's aromancy or yeah, all sorts of cool stuff like that. So Fun, fun. There's there's more magic in Planetos than a lot of people credit. There's just a lot of it just isn't included in the story, I think. Bran could taste the blood in that vision that he was having. And he was put there after drinking the werewood paste, which may have had blood in it. More on that later. But he was already in the vision when he tasted the blood. So was the magic already in play? And he's just, and again, that's just tasting it. That doesn't necessarily imply magic. Although the Magic might be why he's tasting it, or maybe it's just psychosomatic. I'd probably not. It might imply that it is blood magic. Yes. That's what I think. Yeah. yeah. So I kind of lean towards no, I'm not being blood magic. But if Jojen pays, if that theory turns out true and that's Jojen in there, then that's pretty clearly a form of blood magic. He drank that and he started seeing the past. <laughs> like that's divination, which is divination is just seeing things that you shouldn't be able to see. Cer- what Cersei expressed from Maggie, Maggie Frog, that was divination. She took a blo- drop of blood from her finger, told your future. Yeah, so this sounds similar. Drink Jojen, see the past. <laughs> and drink, mm-hmm. you know, Maggie drinks your finger and sees the future. It's, yeah. Hmm. Nina does not believe in Jojen pay. She thinks it's just meant to be chilling and scary, but he's not literally eating his friend there. Which, yeah, I mean. Boring. <laughs> <laughs> And Nina says, but still, that could come down to a a philosophical point. I mean, semantics, whether or not that's blood magic or not. If the trees exist because of blood in the first place, it's the same thing, like chicken or the egg kind of question. There's also these stories like of the Pact era that it requires blood sacrifice to open the eyes of a heart tree or any werewood that's got a face carved into it. It has to have a sacrifice accompanied with it. This is a vague legend. We don't know if it's true. We don't know if they just do that. They're like, well, the eyes are going to open anyway, but we also, we like to kick it off with a sacrifice as well. <laughs> you know, the magic isn't actually happening. There isn't actually a magical result, but they do blood sacrifice because they do blood sacrifice. They've always done it and they just keep doing it. And that is a really important distinction, whether it's just a sacrifice because that's something they believe in or whether there's actually a magical result from that sacrifice. And the werewoods present us with a conundrum because we get into questions of whether they're just eating whether there's actual magic going on, whether the werewood would just be a dormant tree without that blood. We don't know. But definitely touches on the subject, definitely includes itself, definitely might be more overlapped than we think. Yeah. Old green seers dead and living in those trees, maybe they wouldn't work without blood. Ah, probably still would, but maybe the blood spilt hundreds of years ago and these rituals is still powering it to this day, right? It lasted forever or so long that it feels like forever. So. Maybe, I mean, magic has worn off. Like at some point, the North stopped sacrificing bodies to the trees. And at some point, it seems like magic in the North was stronger than it is now. Maybe yeah. that's what you get for not sacrificing <laughs> the trees anymore. Yeah, yeah. 
So let's go to Valyria, where it's a lot more explicit, and it's this guesswork as to whether they were using it, and more about guesswork into what specific ways they were using it. Melisandre seems to reveal in her chapter that certain places give off more magical energy than others. One would presume that applies to blood magic as well. It seems like likely to apply to all forms of magic, but until we know otherwise, that's how we'll, we'll conceive it. The 14 Flames, probably a place like that. Probably, or maybe some areas around them. Some vol- volcanoes may have that inherently. Pyromancy and blood magic combined. Says Marwin seems to confirm that. He flat out says, all Valyrian sorcery is rooted in blood and fire. Straight up just utters that sentence. All Valyrian sorcery is rooted in blood or fire. Similar to Relorism in some cases, but... There's more of the umbermancy, the shadow magic involved with them. It's maybe more pyromancy and shadow magic with a little bit of little bit of blood mixed in here and there, perhaps. In House of the Dragon, Viserys points out the Anogrion, which is a sorceress edifice, which was a blood magic headquarters of sorts, and had proximity to one of the 14 flames, whichever of the 14 flames the capital was built around or attached to. Perhaps this also gave them proximity to the burrowing fireworms that may be the genetic seed for dragons or half of the genetic component for dragons. We also know, as we've talked about in other places, they've created new species. This seems to be very distinctly a form of blood magic, connecting DNA and tissue and things that shouldn't be possible. Again, that's the heart of magic is making the impossible possible, mating a dragon to a lion. (laughs) Shouldn't be possible Even with modern DNA techniques, that kind of thing is not impossible, but only on a very small scale, like on the cellular level. They're not attaching lizard tails to lions, again, yet. Yet. Yeah. (laughs) That's where you get a lizard (laughs) lion from, by the way. And they supposedly mated humans to animals, such as, like, those aren't walking around to this day that we know of. Yeah, like what? What you have such a closed mind is just because you haven't seen it. (laughs) (laughs) Let's recall this great quote from our good friend Septon Barth. In Septon Barth's Dragons, Worms, and Wyverns, he speculated that the blood mages of Valeria used wyvern stock to create dragons. Though the blood mages were alleged to have experimented mightily with their unnatural arts, this claim is considered far fetched by most by most maesters, not just by most by most maesters. An important distinction there. We don't find it far-fetched at all. Like, I think most readers that have looked into this don't find it far-fetched. Septon Barth's record on such things is extremely good. So it's another reason to trust him over the maesters. He studied dragons way more than the maesters have too. In our interview with George R. R. Martin, he suggested that practitioners of blood magic were like the dragon lords in that they used incest to keep certain traits active which means they pass traits down to their descendants. The same sorcery could be at the root of both. Whatever sorcery allows dragons to continue to bond with dragon lords and has they have a predisposition towards bonding with them and etc. That could be some ancient ritual, some ancient magic that affected someone's DNA and has been passed down to their descendants ever since. Perhaps it needs renewal every once in a while. Or perhaps it's just semi-permanent. One example is the Targaryen enhanced disease resistance. Quote, there was fire in the blood of the dragon. It was reasoned a purifying fire that burned out all such plagues. This one even the maesters attest to. And of course we see in Danny, it says it as well. I think it's a storm of swords where she's not worried about getting the bloody flux or the pale mare because 
of what she's been told about Targaryens. Nina says she doesn't particularly believe in Targaryen disease resistance. It might be the case that Valyrian descendants like the Targaryens have a higher immunity than other peoples in that universe, but there's other Targaryens who have died from ordinary diseases later on. So maybe, maybe either it was just lots of health, they're royals, and so they have great sanitation and other things that maybe give them a, a better outcome. But I don't know. I'm not sure I agree with Nina on this one. I feel like there's enough evidence to, to, to suggest there is some magic, but she's right to cast some doubt on it because it's certainly not a sure thing. If you think of magic as wrapped up in DNA, like if you could have magic passed on genetically, it could still be like many other genetic traits, your hair color or height or something like that, where it's in your genes and you may have it or maybe more likely to have it or may have more of it, but you don't always have it completely. Does that yeah, make sense? Okay. So, yeah. so if someone in your history, if someone in your genetic line had blonde hair, you might go two or three generations of brunettes mating and still not having a blonde child. But then one time you do, and it's because that trait was just in there, but recessant. Yeah. So you could have something because the Valerians, they're not all pure blood. They have ha bloodlines mixed with Baratheons and Dornish and who, who knows whatever all else. Plus so just random mutations. Could be, right? Yeah. Right, that too. Right. So it could just be stronger than Danny. And she's lucky that she's making this assumption, even though it's not a given. But other people, other Targaryens have fallen, like Nina has said, that, you know, it could be, it could, could be magical in the tendency, but there are still exceptions. Yeah, yeah, I like that take, yeah. So it sounds like a near sure thing that the Valyrian Freehold not only promoted and encouraged the use of blood magic, but became very advanced at it. Like, you don't have this, of course, it's just House of the Dragon, maybe George didn't see it this way, but he probably did because of how much coordination he had with Ryan Condal and those guys, that they were up there at the top of society. They weren't like a corner of society doing their own thing. They were kind of shunned and just left alone. No, they were, they had social power. They had, they were elevated, right? They were considered top citizens, apparently. Not as top as the dragon lords, I suppose, but there's some overlap there. They're probably dragon lords who used blood magic because we definitely hear of some of the dragon lords using magic directly themselves. It wasn't just a matter of like their underlings did all the magic that some of them had the abilities themselves. Maybe some of the, maybe that's why the Targaryens were near the bottom is that some of the other families had a lot more going on in their bloodlines than just dragon bonding. They could also have greater proximity and aptitude for certain forms of magic like this one. Particularly this one. Clairvoyance or, or reading the future. Maybe not that, that one since they're, the Targaryens are the only ones who got out of there on time. But, <laughs> but still, yeah. still, I, you're right to throw names out there and some of those would probably stick if, if we knew better. Valyrian steel, perfect example. Lots of evidence that sacrifice is involved in it directly, sacrificing people to create whatever effect enables the steel to function the way it does, to be so light, to be to keep its edge so well, to cut so well, to have fire in it. Whatever magical properties Valyrian steel has might be as a result of this the blood magic ritual that is attached to these murders. And there was likely... A very dark concept here, very troubling, is that, yeah, the Valyrians had kind of unlimited numbers of animal and human subjects to force these experiments on, which is part of why they got so good at it. They could just do whatever they wanted, and eventually they'd have reproducible results, horrific reproducible results on animal and human subjects, which they could then build on and learn even more and go even farther. It's a good thing this country exploded. <laughs> Man. And it's probably why the exploded state this country found itself in is still magically toxic. 
things like Erea happening and all those sorts of weird things that still go on there. There's still like rituals that were in progress that <laughs> were left undone. So there's magical fallout. Like it's kind of like radiation. I love that metaphor for it, which by the way, creates more mutations in, in genetics, mutations, radioactivity. So that would be another thing that maybe that would be why there's so many strange results in Valyria, not just the magical experimentation, but proximity to the results of these experiments and other forms of magic might have a side effect, like drinking the water. If you live in a drink water from a certain lake that has certain elements in it, it might have a long-term effect on you. Same thing. You live near a volcano. You live near blood magic. You live near these things. Well, what does that do to you? Melisandre has changed over time by R'hllor, by her following of R'hllor, but also by being, you know, way older than a person is supposed to be. You get the feeling that's happening to people like Thoros as well. Just the use of magic changes you. Maybe mutates you. Now, the inheritors of this tradition, of course, Valyria blew up, but there are still a lot of cities around the world that have some of that knowledge and still use it. Gagasos, I've outright called that episode that we did on Gagasos, Gagasos, the city of blood magic, because it's such an explicit part of what happened there. It was, it was a function of the city for quite a while. And then once they were independent, they took it to another level. I have suspicions about the city of Mantaris, given its Valyrian heritage and the fact that there's two-headed people there and all sorts of weirdness. That sounds like radioactive magical fallout. And they're right on the edge of the Valyrian doom zone. The city was just far away enough to not quite be swallowed up, but close enough to have been affected. If blood magic or certain results of it can be passed down genetically, and there's a lot of potential ramifications for now because the Valyrians would have spread those genetics all over the world. We've spoken a few times about the persistence of genetic traits in Westerosi families, right? Maybe this is a similar form of magic. The Dragonlord families have their purple hair or purple hair, purple eyes and silver gold hairs and all that. That could be magic. That could be like magically altered genetics that stayed in place. I don't think we've ever called that blood match when we talked about it before, but it, I would think that's what you would call it right? Something that permanently resides in the DNA and affects how your genetic expression works. Magic on that level is kind of cool to think about, like this, the fusion of science and magic, because you have to understand science to write it that way, I think, in some level. And it's possible that part of why some of these cities still practice blood magic is in part because certain families have certain protected incestuous bloodlines. Like you said, Sean, maybe just reoccurred after 100 years or 200 years, a very random, rare, very recessive trait popped up, like the Dragon Lords of Valyria. Some of these blood magic traits may have popped up here and there. Maybe the fact that the Lannisters have had green eyes and golden hair for thousands of years is of ancient blood magic, or the fact that the Starks kind of have had a look for so long. That doesn't jive with real-world genetics at all. Now, sometimes we just hand wave and say, well, George wrote his genetics differently. It's not Earth. It can, he can do how he wants. It's not that different. But maybe there's a magical explanation for it. Could be, could be, absolutely could be. One of the best examples for a city that still has these traditions, Kohor, quote. In folklore, even as far as Westeros, Kohor is sometimes known as the city of sorcerers, for it is widely believed that the dark arts are practiced here even to this day, divination, blood magic, and necromancy are whispered of, though such reports can seldom be proved. One truth remains undisputed, however. The dark god of Kohor 
the deity known as the black goat, demands daily blood sacrifice. Calves, bullocks, and horses are the animals most often brought before the black goat's altars. But on holy days, condemned criminals go beneath the knives of his cowled priests. And in times of danger and crisis, it is written that the high nobles of the city offer up their own children to placate the god that he might defend the city. The real world version of that story, I think, comes from ancient Carthage. The Romans claim the Carthaginians did these things. Of course, the Romans also destroyed all the Carthaginian histories. So we don't know for sure whether that's just what they believed about the Carthaginians or what was actually going on. Anyway, it's a good example of the blurry line between regular old superstitious human sacrifice, the kind that has happened in the real world, and magically functional blood sorcery. Very similar to sacrificing to the trees. Are the gods demanding these sacrifices? Are they truly sated by them? Maybe. Maybe they are. Maybe there's people who are having dreams of the black goat and it's so compelling that they feel it's real. Maybe it is real. Beyond the wall, during the Great Ranging, they see evidence of child sacrifice to the werewoods as well, even in current times. Not to mention what Craster's doing, which is very explicitly child sacrifice, giving his children, well, his male children, to the others. Is that blood magic or is that something? I think it, it's definitely child sacrifice, but does that count as blood magic? I don't know. I don't know. This is where Valyrian steel can be reworked. Cohor. Some claim the secrets of Valyrian steel are still known. And if that's not fully true, it's where the most of the secrets are held, apparently. Cohor knows the most about that. Tabho Mott, the one who reforged ice, is Cohoric, for example. And here's a quote from the World of Ice and Fire that takes us a little closer. Maester Paul's treatise on Cohoric metalworking, written during several years of residence in the Free City, reveals just how jealously the secrets are guarded. He was thrice publicly whipped and cast out from the city for making too many inquiries. The final time, his hand was also removed following the allegation that he stole a Valyrian steel blade. According to Paul, the true reason for his final exile was his discovery of blood sacrifices, including the killing of slaves as young as infants which the Cahoric Smiths used in their efforts to produce a steel to equal that of the freeholds. This confirms things we pretty much already knew, tells us the Cahoric are trying to recover these lost Lyrian secrets. It shows that they don't know all of it. They know it's possible, but they don't know like the ingredients. They know the proportions or the right words for the spells or whatever. There's something or multiple somethings missing. They just know it's possible because it clearly used to happen. Clearly, Valyrian steel exists. They're trying to rediscover that technology. Nina says, and really, how far is this from the story of Azor High? Any given Valyrian steel sword may not literally be the Lightbringer, but Valyrian steel swords generally may well be necessary tools in the looming apocalyptic crisis against the others. Assuming they're actually good against the others, they probably are. We haven't seen it yet, but they probably are. So this is just really similar. You got killing someone when the blade is at a certain point, a crucial point in its construction or its forging to empower it with magic. That's very, yeah, it does sound really similar, doesn't it, Sean? Definitely. Yeah. You know, one thing, a thought that's stirring in me is the mixing up cause and effect. Yeah. I'm just thinking about the idea, especially when you kind of sometimes you have to question whether it's really blood magic or some other thing, or if it's a coincidence or how or why the blood magic works. Something like Valyrian steel is just physically is different than the other steels. It's a little more clear that something probably magical, probably blood magic is going on there. But sometimes, especially with like prophecy type things, mm-hmm. Like if you told someone 
if you sacrifice your dog or your child, or if this, this community sacrifices an innocent virgin or whatever, then the crops will succeed. Once you do that, the community might take it a little bit more seriously. They might make sure <laughs> to get that irrigation going. They're going to get up early in the morning. And so was it really the sacrifice? Or was it the determination you got from everyone after the sacrifice? Yeah, yeah. And you could see leaders using that too to get their people motivated. And they might not even realize themselves the difference in cause that's and effect. True. They might really believe the sacrifice worked. We better do it again every season, you know? Like, yeah, like, I mean, that's that's what happens. Illyrio describes the, the Pentashi traditions that way, that they have the prince of the fields and the prince of the sea and all that, and they cut their throat if things don't go well. It's like, yeah. that's why, what's his name? The the tattered prince was like, nope, I'm not going, I'm not going up <laughs> for that system. Thank you very much. Yeah, and like, just in the past, when we've talked about that in my mind, I was like, man, what an unfair system. Hopefully that prince doesn't get unlucky. But I, now I'm thinking like, what a good system to motivate the princes to use their power to ensure the crops Better than sacrificing you know, like, some random innocent. Like, yeah, at least it's the person yeah. responsible. It's still not a great system, that, but it's an improvement the, on the, the prince. The random yeah, he, he's got a bunch of resources that he could like take baths and pots of gold if he want, but he could use the gold to buy more seed and to fund irrigation yeah. and to hire someone to educate the farmers on how to use fertilizer. And yeah, there's all kinds of things he can do to make sure they don't put him to death for the crop family. It's funny how these superstitions are leading are, are in this example are pushing people to try to learn more about like, ah, you should learn more about the science thanks to this superstition. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> ironic. Yeah, it is. Also, some of this is mercantile secretism though. Like the Kohoric, if they really, really were concerned about the ethics, they would have killed him so the secret wouldn't get out at all. But they just kept punishing him, which implies that they don't care that much about people knowing what they're doing. They don't want the recipe to get out, not the fact that they're trying to find the recipe. That's that's kind of what I'm reading between the lines there. Does that register with you? Or Yeah, it does. It's interesting that they wouldn't kill him. I, it, it makes you wonder what else there is to the story. Does yeah. He- they need him for some reason or to have some certain respect for him. Or How is this guy continued? Or, how is he not exiled from the city? Like three whippings and like, geez, like just kick him out already. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, Maester Paul again. Is that you, Maester Paul? <laughs> how did he get in here again? <laughs> but maybe he was like a popular guy with a strong following him. He'd become well, a martyr if they killed him. Okay, so they yeah. had to. Uh, there'd be trouble know. with, there'd be trouble with Westeros if we kill this Maester. <laughs> no, it's so far away. <laughs> One day we'll do, just like we did for some of the other free cities, we'll do an episode on Cohort, but maybe get a little deeper into some of these things or to learn, think about some new topics. Ashai, we have already done an episode on. So check that out if you're so inclined or haven't seen it already. Because Ashai seems to be the most sorcerous city in the world. It certainly includes blood magic when there's lists like every form of magic. If you ever want to see a list of magic, go to the, the Ashai entry in the world of ice and fire it's the biggest list of types of magic you'll see in the series you know it's cohort kind of like when george was explaining the co-producer thing (laughs) 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 you gotta gotta climb the ranks before (laughs) that's when you pay for a threesome (laughs) 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 or more Blood magic and shadow binding and red priests are all listed separately in that quote for, about Ashai and all the magic. So it's just more evidence that these things are separate, or at least some people see them as separate. Maybe certain categorization attempts would link them more closely. The magic does what it does, and we try to fit it into our systems. It doesn't conform. We have to express it. <laughs> it's, it's a one-way system. Not we don't. What we decide doesn't make it true. 
Now, Marwin's presence there in Ashai doesn't mean he learned blood magic on his own, but he certainly learned some things about it. He certainly has some ideas and concepts. I don't know that he knows how to cast any spells specifically, but maybe he does. I mean, he traded his knowledge of the body to Miri Mazdor. He taught her like the Westerosi secrets of medicine that, that they have. What did she teach him? Did, or did he? I kind of doubt he how just. How to love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe that was it. Yeah. <laughs> she traded sexual favors for secrets of the body. Secrets of the body for secrets of the body. Yeah, okay, there you go. It's an even exchange. Marwin's not the nicest looking man, so maybe it was his route there. But it is an open, open question. Like, Ashai, it sounds like when people do that sort of thing, they trade secrets with each other. Like, the anarchist's paradise for magic users. <laughs> and the fact that the place is all messed up is part of that. It's like, yeah, well, there's no central authority to keep things clean or to say, no, that kind of magic is banned because it could ruin the whole city. And that ship has sailed. The, the shadow is nearby. That whole realm is magically messed up. Yeah. If they, if they, if rules could have stopped that from happening, it's way too late. Of course, there's Melisandre of Ashai. She calls herself that. She clearly has knowledge of some things. If we get more chapters from her, we might get some more insider looks at what blood magic looks like, though we may have to parse it from Relorism and other things that she's doing, like shadow binding. Ashai, of course, is ripe for possibility there, but for more, check out the episode on that or send us your thoughts because it's also very vague. We know that blood magic happens there, but being specific is completely impossible. Does Ashai have an export? Yes, it does. It has cheap wealth. Gold and gems are plentiful there, and food is not. So... If you are willing to make the voyage and bring food, you can get huge prices for regular foodstuffs there. The fish that, that grow in their rivers are not to be eaten. <laughs> the crops don't grow. Okay. Animals, pack animals don't survive. Their children don't live there. Children aren't, are rarely born there or just aren't there. Yeah, there's just no children in a shy, apparently. Maybe not literally zero children, but Something's wrong. Maybe they all get sacrificed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> infants. Something's wrong with that place. Multiple somethings are wrong with that place. So that's another thing we could hopefully get a little more of. Mosem Alessandra's been there, more than been there. If we get in her head a little more, we'll get maybe some more insight to what's there. But George will probably keep a lot of that. Pretty shadowy. Hmm. Uses of blood magic. Just a couple of examples here that popped up here that, that, fall into different categories. If you imagine it as blood magic is the source and the spells, the results are the types of magic you can get from that source. Communion is one of them. Varis and the voice, that being from beyond that communicated with the sorcerer that cut him, his involuntary sacrifice of his body part. What the hell is that thing that the voice came from? It could have been... Varus himself says he was drugged, he was young, he doesn't have a clear memory of it, but it's pretty hard for it to not be magical. Mentions the possibility of glass candles, like the voice came through a glass candle rather than just us imagining it be a demon, you know, the voice coming through a glass candle gets a little muddied and the audio quality isn't great on glass candles, you know? <laughs> it's like a, you know, like a Zoom call from a remote location, you know? <laughs> doesn't work very well. I I always default look for the scientific explanation. Boris was having some sort of hallucination, some sort of sure. superimposed memory after the fact or whatever, you know. And, and I appreciate that George allows this to me. I, to me, it's way more interesting when it's ambiguous, when, there could, when it could be a coincidence 
or Melisandre really did make the prediction when it could be blood magic or it was just going to happen anyway. I, I like it more when there's mystery yeah. surrounding it. Yeah, George has it when really it's well. spelled out and clear. And I think it makes it more exciting when once in a blue moon, it is spelled out and like when Melisandre bursts a shadow baby and Davos is a witness to it and he's a trustworthy uh, narrator, then all of a sudden like, whoa, it's... It just hits so much it, harder, it makes yeah. You, yeah, the the other ambiguous ones, I was chalking up chance and coincidence. I have to reevaluate them now, but maybe they were so chance and coincidence, but I got to It makes you rethink things. It adds more levity to it coming in the future. But I think it works so much better the way he does it, where it's few and far between when it's clear and definitive magic. Yep, I totally agree. And it sparks these discussions as well. It allows, you know, that's part of the ambiguity, gives us things to talk about. And that leads to other topics. Just makes it more discussable overall. So it could have been a supernatural being, could have been a human speaking from afar through a candle. Who knows? There's lots of possibilities there. And it's all just a story. That's the other thing. We didn't see this happen. Farish could be making the whole thing up. He could have, yeah. the story where he became a unit could be entirely different. It could be entirely unmagical, entirely just straight up. He's ordinary. been completely honest in every other scenario. Why would he be dishonest this time? <laughs> <laughs> Good point, Sean. I have no reason to believe Varys is lying about anything. <laughs> Now, recall the guy not only cut Varus's parts off, but he burned them on a brazier as part of the spell casting, which Nita points out, that's also what the, the worshipers of the Unsullied worshipers, how they discuss it when they have their parts burned on her altar and learn her secret name as a result. That's how they phrase it. So that might be a little more of a little magical overlap stuff that we have noted so many times in this world. Or a story from Varus to draw on when he tells his fantastic lie. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Nina says it's a, she, Nina believes Vara's a story, but uh, like you, Sean, she thinks the magical elements are sketchy, hazy, and shouldn't be taken with too much granularity. They should be kept vague. They're more about Varus's story. That whole anecdote is more about who Varus is a character than trying to get out like the nature of magic in, in this world. But it, it works as both. I suppose even if he's just totally making all that stuff up, that still says something about his character, that that's the story that he would make up. Yeah, you know? <laughs> you're totally right. It, it's the story. The ma it's, it's a multi-level example of magic should serve the story. <laughs> it's really serving the yeah. story for this character in multiple ways. It's just talking about this, something else occurred to me, keeping it ambiguous like that, even to the author, even when we know certain things are real magic, it keeps us from thinking of other characters in a story who don't believe it as being foolish mm -hmm. because there's good reason to not believe it. You, yeah, you know. yeah. Even if it's true, we understand why they might not believe it's true. We can see how it's chance and coincidence. Even the real magic we see is few and far between and hard for anyone to prove happened and so on. So. Right on. Divination, we've mentioned a couple of times here. That's just prophecy slash foretelling or seeing into the past. Maggie the Frog, obviously, was our, our first example. There's also Ina, a one-eyed sex worker at the Happy Port in Bravos that Arya is aware of. Not under the name Arya, though. <laughs> By the way, I got to say, we brought up Maggie the Frog several times. It's something that occurred to me when I was going through my research. Sure. It's like, wait a minute, Maggie, Magi, that's probably like an evolved word. That's probably a misunderstanding. Oh, yeah. It's pretty much, it's, it's almost explicitly said because when Kyburn and Cersei are talking about it and he says, Meiji, she says, oh, is that how you pronounce it? So she's okay. implying that okay. Kyburn said it differently than she says it, and that it, that can lead you to Maggie. Yeah, so you're totally right. Yeah, Magi, Magi, Maggie, well, yeah. That led me even further to wonder if frog is similarly an evolved word, if that oh, meant something else. I never thought about the frog else. part. Yeah, huh. I, I'm not quite sure what it could be. But, frog. You know. 
<laughs> She's not a fraud, though. Froger. <laughs> yeah. Froger. Uh, I'm not sure. I'll think about it more. If someone has an idea. Yeah. Something put green. It in the chat, She's but... warty. No. Yeah. <laughs> That's more of a toad. Yeah. Maggie the toad. But, but Magi the something. Like, imagine her in her youth at her height with respected power from blood mm. magic. What her title might have been. Yeah. I don't know. What, what point it became the frog, what that could have... Yeah, the frog is a weird nickname, the frog. Like, what's the frog? Yeah. What is that? Anyway. Maybe she uses frog's blood. And <laughs> maybe. maybe that's okay. a simple answer. Maybe she eats Look them. out, Kermit. She eats the frog. Yeah, run away, Kermit. Go far <laughs> from Lannisport. Melisandre and the leeches. This is one's curious. As you said, Sean, burning the leeches on the fire did not cause the death of Joffrey and Renly and Rob Stark. Yeah. Like you said, Melisandre just... You can see where it's going. It's a civil war and most young kings get killed. You know, like they don't do very well. And it's not hard to predict that. So I think more likely because she can see the future. She can foretell the future. She saw that coming was like, well, they're going to die. I'm going to act like I'm going to set it up. So he's part of it. He thinks he participated or that I have more power than it seems like I have. And she's also setting up this notion there's a power in king's blood which is why the leeches have specifically have King's blood in them, which I think is paving the way to burn Shireen. She's setting that idea up that it's going to be necessary. She can't just spring that on him later. It's like, well, you know what would solve this problem is burning a child. She's already paved this road with Edric, but a lot of us think it's still going to happen. That was set up, not a diversion from the path permanently. It was a temporary diversion from that path, not a permanent one. And yeah, so Melisandre's dishonesty is a part of what's leading Stannis to make these decisions. It's ultimately going to be his call will be his, it will be on him if he does it on his shoulders, but on hers as well. Yeah. So this is, this is yet another layer of conundrum here when we have what's, what is and what isn't blood magic, what is magic and what is it? And what are the magical effects here when we have someone lying about them in order to, to, in her mind, she's trying to save the world. So it's again, it's like an Azor high thing where she's not, It's not out of malice. It's not out of gain. She's not trying to make herself seem great. She is trying to save the world. What's a few lies when you're trying to save the world? You know, if you look at it that way. On some level, I think she's trying to make herself seem great. But and with this greater goal in in order to to save the world. Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of ways like she this this magic, quote unquote, right, could be either making it look like she's able to predict that they died or that she caused their deaths. Maybe she is able to predict they died, but she already did it with some other magic, but now needs to make everyone believe in the show of it, right? To believe in her power. But maybe she just predicted it just because it seems like it's a likely thing to happen and it wasn't necessarily a magical vision in the fire. In any of those scenarios, it still adds I, my thought I had earlier about the idea of like you become more committed when you make this great sacrifice, whether Melisandre even realizes it or intends it. If Stannis sacrifices his daughter, there's no going back. There's no way he could be convinced that he's not doing the right. Like, even if there was clear logical proof, he will just be insane to the end. Yeah. Does that make sense? He'd have like, to admit what he, he did. Yeah. Right. He just would not be able to admit that to himself and would continue on insanely on this quest. Even if Melisandre realized it was wrong and tried to tell him different, you know, I, I don't know if that's an angle or direction they might go or how much Melisandre even realizes that but she might, she might have done it herself. Mm. Think who she might have sacrificed in her past to get on this quest she's now on and just can't allow herself to abandon it because of the sacrifices she made. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I like that. I, we, we, we do tend to think that way about Stannis, but thinking about Melisandre in that light is, yeah, that's a good point. Is her shadow baby 
a form of blood magic or is that shadow binding? I think or both. It's arguably it's both. I don't know. I mean, like there's there's a womb and there's blood, but the, but it's it, it comes out as a shadow. I don't I don't know if there's any there wasn't a sacrifice made that we saw, but she did take some of Stannis's like life energy to create that. Feels blood magic ish. Yeah. Bone magic. Bone magic. Sex magic. <laughs> yeah, bone magic. Boning magic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's take a moment to hear a word from our sponsor, Smile Brilliant. My teeth have been getting gradually whiter. I'm, I'm excited for the final finished product, my teeth being the product. <laughs> <laughs> As someone who drinks a lot of coffee, you know, I, I definitely do have a need for a little extra here. But today I want to talk a little more about teeth grinding something that's a little problematic for some people because it's a, it can cause headaches and neck tension and problems with your teeth later in life or sooner in life. 100 to $170 is what Smile Brilliant has these packages for now. You can have expected in the past to have paid as much as 450 to 750 for these. Way more. That's quick math. Five times more in some, or a little less than five times more, four and a half times more. They have three levels of packaging here. The moderate package is $127 versus $550 through most other retailers or sources. That comes with two night guards, free shipping, and free impression kit. Impression of who, though? Impression of who? (laughs) (laughs) Impression of someone with good teeth. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Nice. Sean should be writing these ads, apparently. (laughs) You can get a lifetime reorder on your night guards. Because if you're grinding your teeth, the night guard will get worn out. It's like a toothbrush wears out or anything you use a lot, especially that goes in your mouth. (laughs) Things that go in your mouth tend to wear out. Like your teeth, which is why they need to be taken care of. Teeth, gums, something that gets used that much, something that gets that many different chemicals and irritants and things just going in there all the time. You got to keep it clean, y'all, right? But with grinding, that's a different problem because that's something that's happening during the day, something that's on your mind. You have stresses, you have something on your mind. I'm not a psychologist. I don't know all the reasons people grind their teeth, but Ask Stannis. Yeah, ask Stannis. Like you said, something that he just won't admit, some sort of unresolved trauma, something he is keeping hidden that he won't talk about. Let it out, man. Let it out. Maybe you won't cry on your teeth so much. But until you solve whatever issues are causing you to grind your teeth, in the meantime, you're going to want to protect those teeth because you only get one set. It's really expensive to replace them. So head over to smilebrilliant.com and get custom-fitted teeth whitening trays or the night guards I just described. And while you're at it, they have a whole suite of professional oral care products like electric toothbrushes, probiotics, you name it. So freshen your breath and your look with Smile Brilliant. Get 20% off with the code Westeros. That's 20% off with the code Westeros at smilebrilliant.com. Start taking better care of your teeth today. Kolnitsky says, is killing the Prince of Pentos blood magic? And Aegon Targaryen says, I always wondered if that was why Pentos sacrificed their princes. Yeah, I think it's an open question. I think it, I I would guess no. But like you said, Sean, maybe it used to work and they kept doing it because it used to work. Maybe they used to have the right words. It used to actually be spells and it, it was functional, magically functional. And somewhere along the line, they lost the words, but they kept doing it because... People would freak out if they stopped. Yeah. Maybe they don't need to do it as long as the crops don't fail. But when the crops fail, all right, it's time to sacrifice somebody. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's so funny trying to make these things into like frame these things into the real world. Like, no, but this is a world where magic actually happens. Like so many things would be different. Yeah. 
Amy Collins Russell says, does song slash singing have something to do with it as well? Mary Mazdur sings and screams before she dies. Melisandre sings a prayer, I think. Even in the House of the Dragon, Damon sings. Yeah, there is a lot of singing involved in magic in this world. Song of Ice and Fire. It is the Song of Ice and Fire. Great point, great point. I think it's a great way to do it because the right words is a neat concept for magic, but I think it's even cooler if it's more intricate. And it has to be the the right inflection. Like think of think of the Evil Dead when Ash doesn't quite get. It's like I said the words, kinda, you know, and to the Necronomicon. If you don't say it just right, it doesn't work, or it produce, or it works some horrible other way. Similar concept. You're just they're just extending that concept instead of certain inflections, certain tones. You go straight into song, which is what a song is. It's just got more explicit tones and inflections. And that takes you to things like tonal languages, like Chinese, where the way you say the word matters way more than like in English. It changes the definition of the word, not just emphasis. I mean, like literal, like one means brick, the other means battleship. It's not even just like slightly similar. No, it's not even remotely similar. You know, it's easy to relate to that when you think about in English, we use the tones to change the meaning of a sentence, not a word, but like you went to the store? You went to the store? Yeah. You know, like those you are very different questions. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you're not quite changing the meaning of the word, but you significantly change the meaning of the sentence yeah. by where you put the emphasis. Yeah. So this with tonal languages, it's just yeah, you're changing the entire definition and you would have these same emphasis considerations as well. I like that magic systems can include that because it adds a level of difficulty and complexity and skill to the whole thing. Plus, it just makes it a little creepier when you have someone singing and magic is happening and the, it gets more intense and the song builds. It's like, it's very cinematic on the page when that, when that happens. Theatrical. There you go. Very good. Which, however the magic, however real the magic is, you can imagine the magic user wanting it to be theatrical. Sometimes they might like the old, the old yeah. Melisandre slash Euron trick. They add to it. Like, I mean, let's throw a song yeah. in here to make it seem even more, give it some gravitas. Like, song doesn't actually matter. But I like, she just wants, she just wanted a captive audience to sing in front of. <laughs> like, okay, actually, all this blood magic is just so I can sing my song for y'all. Christina Kay says, with regard to Targumunity, if I recall correctly, there was only one Targaryen who died of disease who bonded a dragon, and it was Balon and his burst belly, which might have been poison. So maybe it isn't Targaryens, but the dragon bond that gives them the enhanced immunity. Jahara seemed to think that bonding dragons makes Targs healthier. Plus, Rhaenys and Aenys both got healthier once they bonded Dreamfire and Quicksilver, respectively. That is true. I mean, not necessarily her conclusion, but those details. I believe those details that, that she relayed are all accurate, which does maybe tell a story. Mm, that's a good yeah. catch. Because yeah, definitely a good parallel to draw. Like, maybe not conclusive proof, but a strong theory. Yeah, like, if you divided the health of the Targaryens pre- and post-Dragon era, I think she's got a point. I think you might find more deaths to disease in the post-Draconic era. Viserys did not have a dragon that he was bonded to as he decayed away and died. That's right? true. <laughs> that is more show only, but you're right. Because he, he didn't, his decay was more, he didn't have that. He didn't have the leprosy in the book version. He just standard, you know, ate too much, drank too much. And that went, went downhill. But he did, you know, he did have still have the hand injury in the book and, and lost his fingers and had an infection. Yeah. So there was, the infection is, that matters. That's the part that I think really ties the two together. So yeah, that's a great theory, Christina Kay. I like it more. More research perhaps is required or is would be warranted. Good. Yeah, warranted. That's the word I wanted. Chatty Lumpkin. Great name, Chatty Lumpkin. Euron <laughs> is getting ready to sacrifice priests. 
sorcerers, etc., for a holy blood sacrifice in the Forsaken chapter. Mary Mazur was a god's wife. Was she a holy blood sacrifice? Interesting. Yeah. Like what blood, what kind of value did Mary Mazdur's blood have as a practitioner of multiple types of magic? Whatever that effect had on her and her blood being part of a ritual as a sacrifice, did that change? That's actually something we're going to talk about a little later, like in the episode is, is the type of blood matter, building on the topic of King's blood. But what about other types of blood? So more on this later, Chatty. <laughs> hey, it's their name, Chatty Lumpkin, you know? So we'll, we'll come back to this topic. They're from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I think it's the last section we have in the document today. So yeah, stay tuned. More to come on that. And Christina Kay, again, another comment says, honestly, Ashai's method of eating isn't all that different than most major modern cities. New York City isn't out there growing its own food. Good point. Very good point. And they are, and food is really expensive in downtown Manhattan. And also. money is very prevalent. And they do have so, a lot of money. Yeah. You're right. They have lots of money, lots of the financial district and the fashion districts of Manhattan. Well, I mean, yeah, and very also, wealthy place. Yeah. I mean, you also think about just cost of living and stuff like that. You make a lot more money when you live in New York City, but it doesn't mean that you're rich. So like, yeah. That's, oh, I agree. You're right. I mean, uh, the yeah. money is there. It doesn't mean you have extra <laughs> because yeah, yeah. so much of it's being sucked up by living there. Ashai maybe doesn't have the like real estate costs because it doesn't have the big population, but the importing costs would be even greater. <laughs> yep. Guilty Undertaker. Isn't the frog just what Cersei calls her? I, I figure Cersei just thought she looked like a frog. Oh, yeah. Maybe that was like, I don't, yeah. Maybe that wasn't the nickname like everyone yeah, had. Yeah, yeah. That was a good point. I was like, I don't know that we've ever seen anyone else call that woman the frog besides Cersei. And Cersei is just kind of mm. an insulting kind of person. And she was a child who might have just like called her the frog. I think the only other person who even vaguely refers to Maggie is Kevin. Kevin yeah, thinks Kevin. of her briefly for a second. Yeah. I don't think he uses the frog either, though. So yeah, yeah. maybe just what she looked like. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe just a Cersei only thing, you know, and she thinks back about it. No one else would know if she could refer to the frog. People would be like, who are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, don't you remember that woman? Yeah. Anyway, so we've been doing this podcast since 2012. Back in 2015, we received this email related to the topic at hand that Ashay will not put on screen and read for those of you who can't see it. Here is this email from Hot Blue. Hot Blue. I want to make a blood sacrifice rituals, but I do not know how to do. Is there a book to do that? Or can you help me? Or you can you help me? Sorry, sorry. I, I didn't mean to put words in their mouth or, or take them out. Yes, I didn't even block out the email there because I don't think this person really needs to care about their privacy. But yeah, there's there's our email from 2015. And I, I definitely saved that one. Yeah, I don't know if they ever figured that out. Yeah. So if you're out there, hot blue, let us know if you ever had any success with your blood magic ritual. We did not respond to this email. Uh, How cruel and callous of us. Yeah. I mean, we didn't have any. We don't have the blood sack. We don't don't actually have any help for them. So continuing on with the different uses of blood magic, here's an interesting funerary practice. Quote. When a horse lord dies, his horse is slain with him. So he might ride proud into the nightlands. The bodies are burned beneath the open sky and the call rises on his fiery steed to take his place among the stars. The more fiercely the man burned in life, the brighter his star will shine in the darkness. Blood and fire, but probably not blood magic. It could be. That seems more like just a belief. On the other hand, Danny seems to see Khal Drogo's spirit rising when she's doing the dragon pyre thing. Of course, she's seeing and thinking all sorts of weird things in that moment. Maybe she's seeing what she wants to see, but 
There's a chance it's real. This would maybe fall under astromancy and blood magic. Uh, you know, astromancy, that's a cool word. I just wanted to make sure I got the chance to say <laughs> astromancy at least once in this episode. Is that when you use the Astros? Yes, that's a baseball type of magic. <laughs> it's how they keep winning. Good pitchers keep coming out of nowhere. Like, that guy sucked. Now he's amazing. Astromancy. Yeah. <laughs> it reminded me of a thought that I had about the idea of blood magic. It, if you sacrifice someone, I guess what I'm asking is, it doesn't matter that you believe that it is. Like, what if you truly believe that killing a scope is the reason that your crops are you performing blood magic even though it was just a coincidence that it happened? I would say no, but you what think it, you are. Yeah. What if it partly works? Like, what if you think I'm going to sacrifice my child to bring my wife back to life and give me a new child? Mm. And it brings your wife back to life, but she's a zombie and can't give you a new child. Well, it part worked. <laughs> not completely. Does that mean it wasn't blood magic? You're like, <laughs> Yikes. That's a, a good lead into some of these next parts where we get into the maybe disputes or get into the weeds as to what even the Dothraki see as blood magic. Cause some of the things they do kind of seem like pretty similar yet. They're really disgusted by even the idea of some of the things that, that Miri Mazdor suggests. Drogo did technically get burned on a pyre. So he may have, that still may have happened for him. If <laughs> his belief, the beliefs were still sort of carried through, like it was part of maybe that's part of why her blood riders stuck with her throughout all this because they didn't want to they were really disgusted by what happened they did not want her to do any of this stuff and drogo's blood riders were honor bound to make sure he was burned on his pyre had they survived they might have made sure that happened but they were instead killed during the ritual of his resurrection and here is a quote getting us into the resurrection Kill her and you kill your call, Danny said. This is blood magic, he said. It is forbidden. I am Khaleesi and I say it is not forbidden. In Vase Dothrak, Khal Drogo slew a stallion and I ate his heart to give our son strength and courage. This is the same, the same. That is Jogo and he's not demanding, he's not telling, he's begging. He's begging her not to do this. He's like, please don't do this. And let me kill her. <laughs> let me kill this Magi. Don't use her spells. Let's kill her. And he's begging for it. And it's an interesting argument. It's pretty compelling. If you're a Dothraki, it's a pretty good argument. I mean, I don't believe eating that horse heart put the strength of the stallion in her body and in her son's heart. Or her son's didn't give her son courage, not magically. But the Dothraki really do believe that. They really do believe that that stallion's heart that she ate during that ceremony, that she didn't choke back up, that she went through all that work for it, which was bloody as hell, was gross. How is that okay? Right? How is that okay? How And then sacrificing a horse to give the strength to Drogo. That's what she said. She's like, strength of the horse, go into the rider. I mean, it's like literally the phrase she's uttering. And here's Nana's take. I guess it's easy to rationalize a Khaleesi eating a horse heart for the Dothraki because they themselves eat horses simply for food on a regular basis. If it is considered permissible to eat horse flesh for any given meal, then it's not so strange for Call's wife to eat another part of the horse, even while attaching the symbolism to that meal, even if implying there's magic going on in the ceremony. But what Miri was proposing to do was kill a Call's horse, the most important animal in the Kalasar. That's already kind of a no-no. The possession is so sacred that Remember how this takes a little Dothraki lesson here. Calls will share their Khaleesi with their blood riders, but they don't share their horse. 
it's gross, but just from their perspective, that's a big deal. So killing the horse as part of the ritual, it was a huge moment. The one that we perhaps overlook a little bit because eh, to us, it's just like, wow, this, is, this whole thing is creepy and weird. But the significance of this, the cause horse is probably to us. It's just a gross part of an animal's being killed. It's a sacrifice. Like we can't overlook that part. I'm not saying that the Dothraki exactly have things figured out. But to my argument about blood magic, like I want to say that burning someone at the stake still counts as blood magic because I think blood means more sacrifice. Oh, yeah. And it's a bigger sacrifice to kill the call's horse than to eat the heart (laughs) of some random horse. (laughs) Bloodiness aside, it's about the sacrifice to the Dothraki. Yeah, so like when Danny ate the horse heart, to me, that's I don't believe that's blood magic. The Dothraki do. Maybe, or believe that it's magical, or maybe not blood magic, but they believe it's a form maybe of magic. Maybe they don't, but they probably should if they weren't being hypocrites. Right. You can see why an outsider would look at the seeing things and be like, this is really similar in terms of the way it's presented. But yeah, yeah, it's me. That's not blood magic. It's just bloody. <laughs> it's just blood, right? But, the, but since the Dothraki do believe it, we have to kind of look at it from their perspective. Here's the actual spell, which gives us a look at what she's saying and, and a few other things, a few other details that I want to discuss. Quote, the stallion kicked and reared as Ricaro, Coro, and Ago pulled him close to the tub where the call floated like one already dead, pus and blood seeping from his wound to stain the bathwaters. Miriam's door chanted words in a tongue that Danny did not know, and a knife appeared in her hand. Danny never saw where it came from. It looked old, hammered red bronze, leaf-shaped, its blade covered with ancient glyphs. The magi drew it across the stallion's throat, under the noble head, and the horse screamed and shuddered as the blood poured out of him in a red rush. He would have collapsed, but the men of her costs held him up. Strength of the mounts, go into the rider, Mary sang as horse blood swirled into the waters of Jorgo's bath. Strength of the beast, go into the man. Right on. Yeah, so it's just, it's a very similar phrase. Like they're trying to put the, the horse heart, strength of the horse into the baby, strength of the beast, into the man. It really does seem similar, right? She's chanting a knife with glyphs, Drogo floating in the bath, the blood of the stallion added to that bath. Nina says, compare the, the woman brand sees in the last, which means earliest, vision in the weirwood tree, where they're also killing an old man, or killing a man with a bronze sickle on a weirwood tree, and he tastes the blood, and there she's chanting, and I believe that blade has runes as well. Maybe not, but it's definitely bronze. But it doesn't really work out this way, does it? The strength of the rider did not go into the man. Or the strength of the beast did not go into the rider. Drogo doesn't seem very strong after this, does he? He was, in fact, severely handicapped. A barely walking symbol of Mary's expression that what is what good is life when all you love is lost? Drogo is alive, but he's not really Drogo, right? Not, not in the strictest sense of his personality and, and his behavior. He's just a breathing cadaver almost. Now, was that in part because the spell was interrupted or interfered with or because Mary was just taking her, this was an aspect of her revenge? I'm not clear on that. And it's not really what we're here to discuss today, but I wanted to throw that question out there. I want to focus more on whether it was an accident, whether the interfering, whether whether Jorah walking into the tent threw it off. Certainly she says that later. Certainly Danny seems to believe that later. So let's continue. Here's here's more of the spell casting. Here's uh, continuing the quote. Mary Mazdor's voice rose to a high, ululating wail that sent a shiver down Danny's back. Some of the Dothraki began to mutter back away. The tent was aglow with the lighter braziers within, 
Through the blood-splattered sand silk, she glimpsed shadows moving. Miriam Masdor was dancing, and not alone. Danny saw naked fear on the faces of the Dothraki. This must not be, Kotho thundered. That's when the fight breaks out. Skipping the details, we come to this as if we ignored the killing and watched the tent the whole time. Quote, Inside the tent, the shapes were dancing, circling the brazier and the bloody bath, dark against the sand silk, and some did not look human. She glimpsed the shadow of a great wolf and another like a man wreathed in flames. So yeah, the spells don't always involve mere words. This is the singing going on that we talked about earlier. It really works, adds so much to the effects, to the creepiness of it. Shadows and fire and blood are happening there. The wolf's presence is a bit puzzling. On the surface, it sounds a bit like Jon Snow, like a wolf to represent John, a Stark side, wreathed in flame to represent his Targaryen side. But but why now? It doesn't seem it seems kind of out of place in this moment. But maybe it's just general foreshadowing. Remember, this this series used to be set to be three books. Maybe George was trying to be a little more economical. But anyway, it isn't. We know this is a blood magic thing happening. We don't have to worry too much about exactly what that wolf is doing there. Maybe that's a discussion for some other time. Nina says, Mary also suggests that the dead will be coming to dance in the tent. So is it possible that these shadows represent past dead? Rickard Stark was burned to death and Brandon killed at the same time on the orders of Danny's father. That could be it. Yeah. Are these spirits like Mary looking for vengeance against Ares's daughter? Ooh, cool idea. Or are these representations of Relorism and the old gods divine witnesses to a magical ritual from Mary's eclectic magical education? Nice phrasing there, Nina. Mary's eclectical magic education. Because she has, she does know magic from a variety of sources and perhaps wove them together to create this spell. Danny is terrified of what's going on. The chill goes down her spine. Of course, it is terrifying. So nothing's too surprising there, except that before Danny resisted the fear powder that, that Mary threw that affected her handmaids. So Dan, when Danny is afraid of something, take note because Danny is quite brave, <laughs> notably brave. But this is throwing her off because this is real cosmic horror stuff. She's confused as to why they would take her inside the tent. There, She's hazy. She's not all there. She's been struck. She's bleeding. So she's uh, her mind isn't functioning normally. But she's like, why are you taking me in there? Why the, the shapes, the dancers, why are you taking me in there? And she realizes she's being carried. That's why I call it cosmic horror stuff, because she realizes she's, she's being carried by seeing the night sky above her. And it's black and empty. And that's what makes her realize that she's being carried into the tent. And she freaks out. Understandably, the starless void is kind of what throws her off there. And the sun set during the ritual. It was dusk. It was the sun was out when the ritual began, which makes you wonder. A couple of questions here. There's a lot of questions, really, but two in particular stand <laughs> out to me here. Is it possible other people weren't seeing what Danny saw? She's like, why are they carrying me into this tent with the shadows? Why the heck would you do that? On the other hand, people were staring at the tent and freaked out, but there's plenty of other things to be freaked out about. The singing, the fact that they know a spell is being cast in there all these other things, just other people looking scared. When you, if you see someone staring at something and they look scared, you might get concerned too. We humans tend to work that way. <laughs> You're like, well, if they're scared, I might have, I might should be scared too. I mean, Kotho knew blood magic was happening. When he walked up and said, this must not be. Like he knew that a spell was being cast. What do you think about that, Sean? Is it, it's just a weird thing that like only Danny could see the shadows? It's possible, but I don't know. That's a bit of a stretch. I wonder if, even if other people could see the shadows, if they would see the same shadows Ooh, as her. Ooh, like a Rorschach test. Some other, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, do we know who carried her in there? Jorah. Jorah? Yeah. On his own? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he blamed himself for it later because her baby being dead was 
partly yeah. blamed on that. Like you said, there's more than two questions, and I'm sure there's been a lot of speculation on this, but I can't decide if I think that Mary Mazdor was A, doing something she knew wouldn't have the outcome she promised. You know, she was trying to put Drogo into some sort of coma. Or B, she really thought this was going to resurrect him or hoped, but didn't know how to do it right, messed it up somehow. Or if she really did everything right and it would have worked, but Dror and Danny ruined it. Like there are so many ways that this could be. It's hard to really know what she hoped for or intended. Yeah. It's an open question. We've discussed in Valar Redis, we don't need to really rehash it, but just to restate what the question is, whether it's whether or not Miri adapted on the fly because Danny came into the tent and because of the extra death happening around her that she couldn't have seen coming, like the Drogo's blood riders being killed just outside of the tent may have souped up the magic, like all this death happening around, or interfered with it somehow, just clouded the waters. Who knows? So she maybe changed her tactics based on the what was happening or going on around her in mid-spell, or maybe she always intended on murdering Rago as well. That was always part of it. Or I seem to lean towards she pivoted towards that option. And she certainly claims credit for it later. She's like, yeah, now the stallion that mounts the world will never destroy all those cities, et cetera. Well, I think she still will because <laughs> the stallion's <laughs> probably Danny, not Rago. Anyway, it wasn't just three of Drogo's blood riders killed. One of Danny's was killed as well. So there were four blood rider deaths right outside the tent. None of these things Miri could have expected, I don't think. I mean, yes, we have people that can see into the future. Maybe she saw it in the flames somehow. But uh, that seems a little much. That was that thing I did wonder. Maybe long ago in her youth, she had some vision of a blonde woman appearing who's pregnant and she's supposed somehow she's going to end up killing her. She, she might've had weird visions in the past that she didn't fully understand, but was starting to see come to fruition and thought she had to do this for some reason, but whatever had to do, this is try to save the baby, try to not save the baby, you know, whatever. Yeah. Nina thinks that she aimed for both of these things. She wanted to disable Drogo so that her, his calisar would break apart because he, she knows how, their leadership style works and no one would follow him in that state and it would cause chaos and and that would be revenge against that Kalasar and him for leading them to her village and it would also of course killing the sign of the mountain world that's a little more obvious well you don't want that she didn't want all these other cities to get burned either and that prophecy to come true so that that does make sense i'm not 100 convinced but i get why some people are and either way because it seemed like poisoning Drogo, basically, she either did or had the opportunity to do, and it basically worked, right? Well, so, that, I don't think she poisoned him, though, because he, it, didn't, it didn't go bad for him until he, cha- he, till he refused her first attempt at healing, and then, and then it got bad. Yeah. So anyway, let's not yeah. rehash that. That's, that's outside of this. Yeah. <laughs> so let's, talk, let's go back to the spell. This is what Mary says right before, mm-hmm. if we're trying to get into some more details here. Once I begin to sing, no one must enter this tent. My song will wake powers old and dark. The dead will dance here this night. No living man must look on them. Whether it was intentional or not, either way, it left Rago doubly troubling. Like, I think there's another example here. Two things are going on. He, the dragony aspect of him, the fact that he had a stubby tail and scales, that's more of a Targaryen thing. Maybe it was made more likely to happen because of all the magic flying around. but skipping the dragon description, here's the part that doesn't fit with the Targaryen incest aspect. When I touched him, the flesh sloughed off the bone and inside he was full of grave worms and the stink of corruption. 
He had been dead for years. Dead for years is such a peculiar phrase. And Danny says she could feel him kicking inside her when she went into the tent. So he was alive when she entered the tent. It's almost as if the ancient power she summoned pulled Rago to them rather than her pulling like a spirit to Drogo or something like that. Like they took him like because he's weak and and young life like the others like the others lust after young life more than Mm. older life. So maybe it's a similar kind of bookend magical thing here where these beings from whatever they are want this energy and the younger the energy the better it is kind of like the undying how they wanted danny for her youth and and all that they've been immortal for so long but they need to renew themselves and i wonder too if this the timing of the spell mattered transition from day to night while the spell is being cast and there's a lot of ancient traditions fantasy and real world where they people say yeah when night day transitions to night and the opposite is when the dimensional barriers are at their loosest between this world and other dimensions, other realms. It's when day transitions to night. That's when that's that's when magic works the best. So in addition to the concept of magic working better in certain places, maybe in certain seasons, also certain times of day might be more like the midnight, you know, right when the clock strikes midnight or when the sun is, or when there's an eclipse. It all fits pretty well with that whole like genre of magical timing and conditions have to be just right. And Miriam Azdur says, the grave casts long shadows, long and dark, and in the end, no light can hold them back. Danny claims those shadows touched Jorah too, and perhaps herself, and whatever, and it had to have touched Miriam Azdur, as we've said, because she wielded it. it. It passed through her. She brought it out. She was there in the tent by herself until other people came in. One reason she might not have wanted anyone else in the tent was because she would be worried that someone would just come in and chop her head off and that would be the end of it. <laughs> she was like, <laughs> so she tells the story of, oh, it'll, it'll go really bad if something is in the tent. Like, try to express it in a way that, that puts the danger on them too, rather than just on her. Lots of different ways to interpret that. The magic, though, is something that, we, when we talk about that scene a lot, we usually focus on the story aspect or just the revenge part of it, like the people. Like, Mary is justifiably angry at what was done to her and her people. Danny has her business and she's mad about Drogo. Oh, that's usually where the discussions go. So trying to get into the magic here is really interesting, but also pretty difficult. (laughs) You know, another trope, I guess I want to say, like no living man must look on them. So one, like maybe it would have been okay if Danny just went in there on her own. But if someone else, if a man, Drogo, whoever else, they, they ruined it. But also to your point, maybe that didn't really matter but she wasn't worried about Danny coming in and chopping her head off. But one that's of those true. blood riders might. Yeah. So that's why, I, anyway. They were the big threat. Yeah, the blood riders have been threatening her the whole time, like both sets of blood riders. Uh, so that's a good point. And if you think more about the phrase of being dead for years, she says awakening powers old and dark. You know, so it's just like ancient powers. So it kind of makes sense that the link, as much as magic can ever make sense, the link between old powers and a body that's been dead for years and that being transposed. This is, by the way, part of where the, Tyrion time traveling fetus idea comes from. <laughs> gotta, we got to inject humor every few minutes here to keep this light. It's such a dark topic. <laughs> Is there any evidence that Jorah has it's touched him in some way? I mean, it doesn't seem like he's behaved any differently before or after. I mean, he's always been lusting after Danny and doing his thing and depressed for being in exile. I don't know that there's any notable change in him. He just keeps being himself. He has a little guilt over it, but There are things about him you might be able to point out as change, but there are many other sources for that change other than it. It doesn't seem to be some shift happened right at this moment. You're right. It's too hard to narrow it down and pin it on just this. 
this scene as well is a bookend in the first book in that it's not unlike the prologue where the others appear. And it's one of our best looks at them. Powerful and particular and detailed old supernatural element introduced and then kind of held behind the curtain from then on, like waiting for us to get more of it. Like we want more of that, but it's also kind of cool that we get very little of it because that makes it interesting and enticing and keeps us wanting more mysterious, intriguing, just like we haven't seen much like that at the, the, much like the prologue. We haven't really seen much like the end of book one for Danny with the blood magic and the egg hatching. Although I think we will, I think we, we are clearly going to see more of the others and we are clearly going to see more rituals and more blood magic. And if you count say Shireen's burning as blood magic, that's one of the most clear examples I think we'll get, but there's more to another possible example of blood magic when we get back to the genetic ideas. Remember the Bloodstone Emperor? We talked about that briefly, the Amethyst Empress and the Great Empire of the Dawn. In between the resurrection chapter, that's chapter eight for Danny, and chapter 10 is the pyre and the hatching of the dragon. Chapter nine, as I said, was the fever dream chapter. And that's when she has the famous or infamous fever dream of her ancient ancestors, the Valyrian, perhaps the ancestors of all Valyrian dragon lords who had their colored eyes and their silver gold hair. And they're telling her to wake the dragon and do all these other things that push her to perform the ritual. That could be blood magic, ancient blood magic that ties them together. The Whatever ritual made them permanently purple-eyed and silver-haired or close to that. That's why Danny is dreaming of them, specifically because they're her ancestors. Specifically, she looks like them and they're telling her to do something that they did or that empowered them, having dragons, bringing dragons back into the world. May not be good for everyone. Maybe it is because it's necessary to save the world. Either way, she's the conduit for this and it changes her forever. Other examples. Weather. Weather is something that happens. It comes up. Blood magic at sea. Let's talk a little ironborn angle to this. Euron, certainly what he's doing or planning to do with a bunch of priests strapped to the prows of ships. That's got a lot of us quite morbidly curious. And it could definitely be magical, but could also just be a way to look magical. It's like, oh, I got priest blood in the water. If, if, is it bait or blood magic? Right? Is it, is it blood magic or bow magic? <laughs> bow magic, yeah. <laughs> or is it, yeah, yeah, good, good question. And, and, and when Jojen dreams of the shores of Winterfell and, and the, the water flowing over the walls of Winterfell, is that flood magic or blood? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but that could just be bait, right? Like blood summons krakens. We, we're, we're told they're like it's, sharks can smell blood to an absurd degree, something like one one millionth part in a drop like and smell. It's a, a ridiculous. So it's not magical to think that a Kraken could smell blood in G- George's world. And that would what he's that's what he's aiming for. It could be both. Yeah, I think it's one of those things. Ambiguous. Yeah. <laughs> you know, another thought I have too. someone again, different levels of intent and realization when they do it. But you know, someone who's willing to make sacrifices, someone who doesn't have morality in the first place, someone who's willing to play on other people's superstitions, like urine fits all those, you know. He could say, if he puts all these people on his ships and sacrifices them, anything that positive that comes, he's like, yeah, see, it worked. Listen to me, <laughs> I, yep. my sacrifices, my special knowledge, whatever. If it doesn't work, you didn't sacrifice enough. Priests, priests weren't holy enough. You better not mess up, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's yeah. It's certainly that seemed that that's pretty similar to where I fall on it. I think that it might be magical, but he definitely wants it to look magical, whether it is or not. 
Victorian and Makoro, let's talk about them briefly. In the case, especially Makoro, I suppose another example of the curious nature of the magic of R'hllor, which overlaps fire and blood and shadow, which reminds us again of Valyria and also all this just timing, right? Yeah, I was going to say it also might just overlap with science. <laughs> he might just under read the clouds better. He might also be a sailor and understand you know, the, the storm's coming, you know? like it's a good point. <laughs> he just gets, gets to use what he knows is a good prediction anyway to add to the perception of his power. So his knee starts hurting. So he knows it's going to rain. So he builds a fire, looks at it and goes, oh, I can see rain coming in the flames. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't also have real magic. Yeah, he floated but... in the sea for two weeks. That's ma- like, There's nothing but magic that can account for yeah. that, I think. <laughs> so you're right. So like, yeah, there's a lot of this playing off and blurry distinction between the two. Blood magic is at the, it's at the heart of that because it's, Maybe even more so than any other form of magic because of the preponderance of things like blood sacrifice, which are probably just rituals and not magic. But some of them probably are. I doubt 100% of them are non-magic, you know? So with his idea, the horn, the, the hell horn, Makoro set, flat out says the horn must be claimed with blood, which again, being Valyrian sorcery and rooted in blood and fire, it all fits pretty well. It's also very vague. But it sounds yeah. like blood magic. I mean, you, you must claim the horn with blood. Does it, it just doesn't matter. He says, doesn't matter who blows the horn. It matters who claims it. matters who owns it. And the guy who blew it, Craigorn, the one who blew it at the King's Moot, he had a hawk tattoo and it bled when he blew it. And everyone felt like their ears were burning. And yeah, focused sound. More playing with sound and magic together there Ooh, too. Audio magic. Audio magic. <laughs> That's what our Benjineer pulls off. Audio magic. <laughs> guys like Bran the Builder. I mean, our friend Bran, not the Stark Herator. <laughs> <laughs> the firearm. Makoro giving Victorian a firearm in that very peculiar, very creepy ritual. Blood magic, fire magic, both. This is another one. Seems like both. Very uniquely presented to us also. Yeah, with right? that, with the way the POV shifts briefly. Now, he he emerges with a burned hand and blood up to his arm. And then later, it seems like his whole arm, is his, his arm is burned all the way up, which is maybe it's creeping up his arm. He doesn't say that. You'd think he would maybe take note of that, but it feels like from the descriptions that it's 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 growing. The, the burned aspect is is creeping up his arm, which would make sense. Fire consumes Barrack saying fire consumes everything entirely. And it's like, well, slowly but surely you're being consumed. Maybe he's becoming like what Makoro is, but without the priestly training. So in universe wise, I wonder how people view it. Does they see that as, well, they see it as real magic for sure. They're not fooled by that. There's no way to describe this as just a trick. Now, one thing that happens in that moment with the weather magic is it's a little confusing. He emerges from that, from his cabin. And is like, cut the maester's throat and throw him overboard. And then he says, we'll have great winds. But he says that the priest saw that in this flames, not that cutting the guy's throat will cause this. He's just like, I'm done with this maester. <laughs> so kill him and throw him overboard. And because the maester failed to heal his hand of, over, over these months and months and months, and Mikoro just did it just like that. And so he's like, well, what do I need this guy for? Healed. Healed, yeah, both. healed, yeah, yeah, yeah. from Victorian's <laughs> point of view. He's, not, he's like, healed. It's better than healed. It's stronger than it was. Surely there's no side <laughs> effects here. It's just, it's just pure profit. Makoro also used, he said he wanted a silver knife, but iron would be fine. And also there was singing and laughing and screaming from outside the door. 
some of the similar elements. If there were shadows dancing, we couldn't see it because it wasn't a tent. It was a cabin, so there would be no way to see that. But it's a serious overlap there, huh? Pretty creepy stuff. He also, by the way, Victorian also mistrusted the maester in the first place because the maester was given to him by Euron. Even though Euron just took the maester from one of the castles that, <laughs> that they had taken, it wasn't someone that connected to Euron in any way. Meanwhile, the dusky woman is connected to Euron in some way, and he just kept her. But that's just, that's more of a Victorian-centric topic <laughs> than a blood magic topic. <laughs> and yeah, so I certainly would look to the Ironborn and Makoro, especially because they're getting more and more connected to Danny as a source of future blood magic related subplots or plots that have blood magic wrapped up in them. Makoro may encourage Danny to do things kind of like Stannis is being encouraged by Melisandre. These things could definitely verge or verge into blood magic territory, if not head straight down that path headlong. I think maybe someone like Tyrion would be the one be like, mm, are we sure we want to do this? Even though he's pretty cynical. I don't know if he wants to get involved in blood magic. It might be the kind of thing that someone like Barristan becomes extremely uncomfortable with. There's a lot of things that when I see what Danny's future court will look like and the people that will be surrounding her, I see conflicts between some of those individuals. And this is potentially one of those conflicts. Like you have blood magic practitioners in your inner circle, Danny. That looks terrible <laughs> to Westerosi who sure, Kohor is fine with blood magic. Valeria was fine with blood magic, but your own Dothraki hate it who are on your side and Westerosi hate it. They think it's, you know, the seven think it's blasphemous or whatever word they would use. So as accepted as it may be in other places, it's definitely not accepted in the culture you're trying to be a part of and the other culture you're going to try to be a part of from, from Danny's perspective. So that could be a real problem. One of many things that doesn't look good on Danny's resume to Westerosi in terms of cultural background and, and what she's bringing to the table. Ooh. Blood types. Let's talk about blood types. In the real world, we have, you know, A, B, O, negative, positive, all that. Typo negative being my favorite because it's a band and they're cool. Knowledge of that was kind of like the equivalent of blood magic in the real world. Genetic manipulation, gene splicing is probably even closer to the equivalent of blood magic in the real world. Except that, and, and, and right up there with people being really creeped out by it. Like people are very creeped out by some elements of genetic modi modification is where people really sometimes draw the line. Gene editing, people seem to be a lot more okay with. Anyway. I feel like for the most concept. part, there's not a lot of sacrifice involved in That's true. the real world-ish blood magic examples, which I think is a distinguishing factor. I think, I think what people say is being sacrificed is like decency or health. Like you'd say that oh, this is going to yeah. lead to bad health outcomes. Like whether that's true or not, it's a belief that people have. That's the point. Like same thing with blood magic, whether it's really blood magic or whether it's just a belief, people react to it whether in ways that they think it's real. And same thing here. Like they believe these stories about gene editing in the real world that may or may not be true. You know, I, I guess another point to make about it, it's something I thought maybe distinguishes blood magic from other magic too, is that it's sort of like cheating or a shortcut. Something that maybe regular magic could do over more time mm, or with more resources that's a good point. or regular people without magic at all could do over more time with more. But if you're short on time, Stannis has to win this battle now. He can't wait to raise an army. Renly already outnumbers him. Blood magic 
shadow binding, whatever. He's <laughs> it's a cheat. He's cutting corners to make something happen more quickly. And he's sacrificing something important. Yeah. To get the result quicker or a more powerful degree of it or et cetera, et cetera. Right on. Let's return to Melisandre and the Leeches to discuss King's Blood. And let's take Nina's lead on this one. She says, I have a hard time believing that King's blood works as simply as Melisandre seems to suggest that it does. Simply due to the nature of political power in this universe and the nature of genetics and bloodlines. Kings are made as much as kings are born. This is largely a hereditary monarchical monarchical and aristocratic system. But dynasties can and do change through extinction or rebellion or outright usurpation. Anyone can call himself a king. So when King's blood is supposedly, when does it start? Like what makes you, when the crown sits, touches your head, your blood changes? Is it a metaphysical thing? Are we not supposed to look at it in terms of strict reality? This is it the moment you call yourself a king? Are you, is it because you really do have kings like your great, 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 great grandfather was a king? Do you have kings? But like, where do you draw the line? Would Robert's blood be king's blood? Yeah. Yeah. Would Joffrey's? Joffrey's. Like he was, he was a king, but he's not Robert's descendant. Like, yeah. What is, if it's just literally anyone descended from a king, then there's just billions, well, not billions, there's hundreds of thousands of king's bloods running around, like almost everybody. Maybe it's like, maybe it's like Santa Claus magic. It depends <laughs> on how many people believe it. The more people believe they're king, like, the more powerful the blood Tinkerbell is. Tinkerbell magic. People... Tinkerbell magic. Yes, <laughs> that's right. All right, we're on to something. I think we figured it out. All right, episode's over. Crack the code. Blood magic solved. <laughs> Boom. Change the title of this one. Blood magic solved. <laughs> it's like one of those cold cases. We're now a true crime podcast. Blood magic <laughs> solved. No one sets this example better than Renifer Longwaters, the abhorrent jailer that Jamie has the encounter with when trying to track down how Tyrion escaped. The guy who says, calls himself a tad of a lad that claims descent from John Waters. He's like, yes, I have royal blood. And it's a great scene because it lets Jamie be sarcastic in his head and he tells all these jokes. And also, it's just funny to think about this as King's Blood. It's the, my favorite example for shutting down the notion of King's Blood. Nina and I teamed up on that one there, I think, pretty well. <laughs> the, the funny, humorous example and just the straight up, how could it possibly work this way if, if you know, the way she explained it? I don't need to repeat it. <laughs> but... I still have the question. Sure. If we had some animals and we decided, if we declared one of them is the king animal... Would their blood be worth more? Oh, like a king snake or a king, yeah. Yeah, if, if I like, if I declared king, Jaken, our cat, to be the king of our household, and I said all the other cats are going to treat Jaken like he's the king, I'm going to put things, I'm going to treat him with the trappings of power. <laughs> does it count or does it only count if my cats see him as a king? I think king? it's the trappings of power. <laughs> I think it counts to the degree that people believe it. I know, what I'm saying, I believe Castanova it. and Xerxes believe it. If me and Aziz believe it, then the more belief, the more power in okay, the blood. yeah. Yeah. So the more time that passes, the more follower. You need to get more cats. <laughs> <laughs> I say that every day. <laughs> Moving forward a little bit to the king's blood ritual, like waking dragons from stone. Melisandre claims that you need the king's blood to wake the dragons from stone. And some of the other examples from history of people trying to, to do that. And some that didn't make the book, like the one I mentioned recently that Nina drew to my drew my attention to that we were chatting about the one of of Maylie's Blackfire supposedly burning his own 4-year-old son on the flames to hatch dragon eggs. Now that's not canon cuz George took that out of a dance with dragons, but he may have taken it out because it didn't fit, not because it's not necessarily true. So it might be semi-canon. Anyway, he, he certainly entertained the, that idea. Is this blood magic? 
like the other fire magic sacrifices, probably maybe you could say it's 60% fire magic, 40%. I don't know. We don't need to break it down to percentages, but it's pretty anything with like this kind of sacrifice to generate a result, multiple magics powering it. Yeah. I think there's an element of blood magic in there. And Mary Mazdor says the blood alone is not enough. You need the right words or songs or both. And well, in the case of Danny Waking Dragons for Stone, there were like no words at all. She just, maybe there were thoughts, but there was also the real sacrifice. You should see what she was willing to do, which Nina has a, has a great take on. But Sean, you said you have, you have something you want to say first? Just that that might be part of it being a miracle. She that it was right a true word. sacrifice. Oh, that she didn't or, have, okay, yeah. Or that uh, Mary Mazdor isn't being totally honest or accurate. Right, that's always possible. We, we have to very strongly keep that idea in mind, is that whatever Mary Mazdor says to Danny is going on, there's a lot of reasons for her to be not telling the whole truth. Nina says, I personally believe that the dragon hatching worked because Daenerys was willing to give herself as a sacrifice, that she was personally willing to stand her ground in the heat of the fire and ultimately step into the firestorm. I don't think it's coincidental that the key phrase repeated from Mary Daenerys and from Daenerys back to Mary, only death can pay for life, stands stone, or stands, oh, stands stone, stands alone in the passage where she hatches the dragons, nor that the third hatching happened only after Daenerys gave herself over to the fire. She didn't die, but she stood before and ultimately offered herself to a fire that should have killed her like she couldn't have expected to live under normal circumstances only perhaps the, the voices in her head maybe led her to believe otherwise but it's not really written that way she just does it right so that feels fitting nina says for a series where great magic always comes with a great personal cost that she was willing to die the fact that she didn't is perhaps the miracle more so than anything else i'm even more even more miraculous than the dragons being hatched either way that is the, is the crucial difference in, say, what Stannis is willing to do, perhaps at least at this point, or what a lot of these other people are willing to do, is that they're actually willing to themselves be in the sacrifice. And that factors into our concept of belief. She didn't sacrifice herself. She didn't technically sacrifice herself, but, but she was willing to. And if her intent was required, if spells require pure intent to work, then she had that. Whereas almost anyone else maybe wouldn't because they aren't willing to give themselves up. Hmm. She also might not have fully sacrificed her life, but she still made a sacrifice. I was even thinking when you were saying, you know, we don't necessarily need to break down a percentage exactly. But let's say that it was 60% fire magic, 30% blood magic, 10% hair magic. Hair magic. That's right. She did burn her silver Targaryen <laughs> hair off. Like, mm, you need that. This says a lot about blood magic itself, too, in that as awful as it is portrayed, as shunned as it is, it won't and arguably shouldn't be entirely shunned if it has humanity-saving upside. If it can save the world, then you can't entirely write it off, <laughs> especially if that threat is there. Like, if, well, what, what's it going to save the world from? Is it the kind of threat that could never realistically happen? Well, in this case, the threat is realistically happening. And Nina says, like, I feel like with any form of sacrifice in this universe, the consistent message has been that it has to be yourself. Can't sacrifice other people to work. The hero isn't the guy willing to murder his wife or child to get a magic sword. It's the person who will stand up for everyone, no matter the odds, and fight for what's right. Why does Beric get a true sort of lightbringer and Sandus doesn't? Beric really was willing to die. He was really willing to die to give his life for. He did it. I mean, he actually passed his life force on when it came. He didn't hem and haw or question it. He just did it. And he was constantly putting himself at risk for others. That's real sacrifice. 
Daenerys got the dragons for her sac- willingness to sacrifice. That was her quote-unquote reward from the gods or from the fates or from destiny or meh, from George R. R. Martin. <laughs> what about regular folk, though? Yeah, it was Mary's blood special. I keep coming back to this. I have no way to answer that, but it feels like she was permanently changed by a long a career of, of using magic and whatever that does to you. Especially if the Valyrians made it a genetic thing, as we've touched on in this episode. Supposedly, Danelle Lawson, Shiera Seastar, and maybe some others have bathed in blood to Lies. stay youthful. Lies. <laughs> Melisandre has done this with glamour. She just uses illusion to do that. People say the same thing about me. <laughs> yeah. Red hair. <laughs> the prevailing theory is that it's red hair dye that people yeah. see and think it's blood. I both- literally do go through this when I dye my hair. Every few months, I, I dye my hair red. And I go take a shower and I look at my at the blood running down and I'm like, wow, I, really, I, I get it. So, yeah, I, I can relate. <laughs> this really explains Danielle Lawson, who had shiny yeah, yeah. red hair. Uh, Not Shiera so much Shiera. <laughs> yeah, red hair, though. So that doesn't really explain it. She had Targaryen looking hair or Valyrian hair. Same difference in this case. So Bathing with something else. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. I don't want to say Silver? No. <laughs> Sean hasn't, uh, anyways, let's move on. Yeah, moving on. Sean doesn't need to know what I'm thinking. Danelle was <laughs> yes, we're not actually sure what kind of blood was used here, but probably not royal blood. Like, where are they getting royal blood for these rituals? You can't just find that anywhere. What we're supposedly told is in kind of a fairy tale style reference is that Danelle was rumored to send giant bats out to kidnap children. That's probably an exaggeration, but if you were to imagine, like, what does that ritual sound like? Instead of strength of the horse going to the rider, it's skin of the child go into the woman. <laughs> yes, <Yikes. Yeah>. yuck. <laughs> Blood of the child go into the hair. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Really? Magic? Is that I what she know. said? I thought I heard her say that. There's a lot of echoes here in Heron Hall, though. It's kind of hard to hear exactly what was being said. But yeah. By the way, I just want to say the idea of giant bats going to kidnap children. It probably is exaggerated. They're regular sized bats. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Only when you're kidnapping adults do you need giant bats. Yeah. 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 Small, small bats will suffice for children. So, yeah, if you can do that with regular folk, I mean, we're not even sure it's happening. These are rumors. But Danelle Lawson, she, like her house, the Lostons were put down and expunged basically because she turned to black magic or the black arts or what have you. It was kind of put vaguely, but. She maybe really did do blood magic, or maybe that was all rumor. Uh, the problem with, with, with pinning it on entirely on rumor is that you would think that if someone was foisting a rumor about Danelle Austin in order mm. to get her taken away from Hall, they would do it so they could have Hall. But Hall just sat empty, or was given to the, to, or not sat empty, was given to the Wentz, who were like nobodies. It couldn't have been them. I don't think they were too small scale to have engineered this, especially because the rumor about her was something that it perpetuated for like over a decade. Like she had stories were told about her during the third Blackfire Rebellion and before that. And she wasn't put down for lack of a better word until like the year 230, 231, which is like 12 years later. That's when the winds finally caught them. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they came in, red handed. They came and went. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Now, it's the power of animals. We talked about the strength of the horse going to the rider. It seemed like it gave him the brain of the horse, too. Brain of the beast, go into the call. <laughs> walking around like a horse. Donkey brain. Donkey brain, yes. He did he not have a certificate, snow. but mm, he's pretty donkey brain there. <laughs> yeah. What about Sammy and the bull? There's Sammy the Bull Gravano, the mobster, but there's Sam Tarley, 
who his dad hired warlocks to made him bathe in bull's blood to make him brave. Strength of the bull go into the tarly, <laughs> you know. There's some worse bull things that he could have bathed in. <laughs> Not to bring it back to that guy. Shay, I just can't stop with this. <laughs> From bulls to balls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Perhaps there's more to come here. I mean, we haven't seen the, we haven't seen the extent of the strength of the elephant go into the Tyrion mm-hmm. <laughs> into the dwarf. What about that story about Randall Tarly is perplexing to me. It seems weird that that's something that he would do. Uh, yeah, that like you can be kind of a conservative man, but still have a lot of suspicions and hold stock and some real yeah. tomfoolery there. He I don't thought know. It was that, worth it. He's like this. It's like worth gonna, it. Yeah, you know. Like you might think of him as like hill. state or or someone who wouldn't be down with magical practices, but he's willing to put it all aside for his own gain. You know, I don't know. I think it's t- it's very telling about Randall that he would be willing to entertain warlocks. And that's part of what's perplexing to me is that I don't feel like if this he's I would say he's a major lord. I don't know. Maybe yeah, not pretty major. major. Yeah, I mean yeah, he's now he's on, the, he's on the small council now. Yeah, he's, he's second major. second tier lord. Yeah. And his son yeah, hired warlocks for this blood magic ritual like. Some other people had to know about this, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Are there any rumors stirring about him? Oh, it would have happened. Bolton? Yeah, yeah I mean, Bruce Bolton want to know what's up with this guy? <laughs> well, uh, like, you know, maybe, like, maybe not him because there's wife so far cool away. with this blood magic. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, what did his wife you know? think? Yeah, she was like, no, don't do that. Sam just the said, "Stolen of the castle." Probably the, did pique a lot of people's interest. And, uh, and I, I yeah. would guess that there were some people who were like, "Oh, this guy can be taken in as a fool. Yeah. I'm going to come scam him." Yeah. And some people who were like, "Oh, he's really dedicated." And then they see him send his son to the wall, and they're like, "Oh, yeah, he was real dedicated. He was, you know." But yeah. then any thought of scamming him ended because he he had those warlocks scourged for their oh. failure. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, so probably okay. we're like, "Okay, this is not someone that I can just scam." Yeah, yeah, you're right. And maybe he heard the whisper. Maybe he heard people like, he just got scammed. And I like, like to comment here from Tara. Tara Incognita says, the only ethical blood magic is my blood magic. <laughs> I think that's Randall's take on it. And that's the I hypocrisy and all that of Randall Tarley and why he sucks. <laughs> it's only ethical if I do it. Yeah, Randall Tarley, he does seem like the kind of guy that would be like, it's only, but yeah, I don't do think, as I, I don't say, think, not as I do. I don't think Randall would have really felt beaten up or felt torn up about his entertaining of the warlocks right yeah. like i don't think randall felt was racked with guilt over like oh i'm betraying the faith of the seven really you know no he, he was, was just like oh like, this is this might work Let's he's like it. i gotta be loyal to my house this is what's necessary to keep yeah. the house going i can't pass this can't pass the seat to to my weak son and we'll lose it all you know yeah I do feel like he would be suspicious if he found out some other lord did that, though. I think he would. I do I completely agree. If he heard, oh, Mace Tyrell used blood magic on his son Willis, he'd be talking to the the king to say, hey, I don't think Mace Tyrell should be Lord Paramount anymore. He would do anything. Yeah, it would be a way to rise. Yeah, Yeah, because it would be a wedge issue for power gain rather than like a truth or an ethical thing. He'd be like, no, this is just thing I can use. Yeah, it's all about, yeah. Power games, not truth, not justice. What can I get out of this? Brandel and Mark Price says, hey, it worked. Sam the Slayer, he is a killer. It worked. Hey, yeah, good point. It's blood good magic. Point. It worked. You're right. Randall just wasn't patient enough. Yeah, he Proof. wasn't patient. Yeah. 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 yeah and he, and he, he finally hooked up with a girl, too, up there, too. Remember, he even said, he's like, my father would actually be proud that I fathered a son on a wild girl. <laughs> he's like, yeah. yeah. All because of the warlocks, of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Those warlocks get a bad rap. I tell you. Yeah, like 
What if a dragon is killed? What if a dragon is sacrificed or strength of the crack tentacles of the crack and go into the <laughs> Greyjoy? <Yeah. laughs> what if the dragon of a king? Yeah. There's so many things. Like the options here are, are King's compelling. Dragon Blood. Like what else is Euron gonna try? Like what other options has <laughs> he got? What is he else has he got up that eldritch sleeve of his, that bloody sleeve? What's he hiding behind that eye patch? Some more blood magic, I think. And what more will Bran discover up north? Like, what more will he discover about the history and lore and the past of the Greensears that involves some blood-soaked topics or two, which we might, if not calling them blood magic, we might relate to them. Use it as a another point of connection between the various types of magic and say, look, here's another similarity between the magic systems, systems in air quotes here, because I don't think George has defined it that way. This is our effort to define it a little bit. But as I said before, we won't go too far in over-categorizing because that's not really the point. The point is to get closer to it. We can't get all the way there, so why set that expectation? But the old powers are rising, as we know well. That surely includes blood magic in forms we have yet to imagine. So just cast your imagination forward. If you have any other ideas or characters you think might be involved in blood magic, or you could see their plot lines veering into that, let us know. In addition to the places we've mentioned, surely there's blood magic in other parts of the world? Like the elemental forms of magical sourcing, it seems somewhat ubiquitous. If you can discover earth magic, fire magic, if in the long gone days of early humanity and perhaps whatever came before humanity, it seems like it would have come up, people would have figured out that blood magic was a thing the same way they figured those other ones out, however that was. Whatever led them to these truths, these secrets in the first place, well, they would have probably kept walking down those paths, or at least some people would have. Some would have gotten off the path when they saw how dark it was and where it was leading. Others might have tried to wield that sword with no hilt for good, like to use for fertility and for justice. But for the most part, it looks like it's been used for evil things and things that are banned for a good reason. The cost is perhaps not worth the results. Nine times out of ten, if not more. Yee-T seems like a place there would be some blood magic. It's a very sorcerous place. Maybe if we ever get a Yee-T show, we'll get into that. The Kingdom of Sarnor is a place gone now, but it was pretty magical in its time. There was probably some blood magic there. Maybe it was restricted or encouraged. We don't know. I don't, I don't believe we touched on blood magic specifically when we did our Sarnor episode, but we did touch on how sorcerous the place was and, and how ancient some of the magics involved there were. So it makes sense. It fits in with those other elemental magics in that sense. Dom Tartaglia says, Rago was dead for years. D plus D equals T confirmed. Yep, the old time traveling fetus. We got there. <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know what that is, that's Drogo plus Danny equals Tyrion. <laughs> yeah. And I think Dom knew well that the only way I was going to grab that comment was if he did a super chat. <laughs> <laughs> you got to pay for us to say that one. But shout out to Folkwise. Our, <laughs> that's Dom's channel over there and all of our other friends who were working on Folkwise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> every Tuesday at 7 Eastern they have their streams yeah where they don't talk about time traveling fetuses but about folklore <laughs> <laughs> if there was a folklore angle that included time traveling fetuses though they would talk about it <laughs> yeah they would they sure would maybe there is there probably is some folklore about time traveling fetuses somewhere in some culture I guess there maybe. is now in our culture <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right <laughs> I guess you're, you're right. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe I should 
better learn the exact definition of folklore. I don't know. <laughs> I just watch a folkwise stream one Tuesday then. You'll learn. <laughs> B. Lou sends a super chat says, thank you guys for what you do and for helping me become more educated and delve deeper into this lore. We'll be joining the Patreon support. Oh, well, thank you, B. Lou. Uh, B. If- Lou was in the chat asking questions about the best way to start our catalog. Oh, and I cool. gave them directions on and told them, I think they could start from a Game of Thrones in Valor Redis, or they could start... From the World of Ice and Fire, Valor Redis, depending on if they wanted the main series or if they wanted history. And so if you had that question about, about you know, what how to recommend it to someone else and where to start, I think those are two good starting points. But there's maybe others and we, ha- we have the same thought. But uh, hopefully, B. Lou, that gets you going and you can just keep going on one playlist and figure it out from there. Very important and related to our patron. We have a new feature that Ashea has been working on. We announced it a long time ago, but Ashea has added a lot more to it. It's a, a way for people to get access to all of our episodes because our catalog has grown so big and both YouTube and all the podcast platforms are kind of struggling with this, but they haven't given us any options for better ways to find out what a creator has to offer. Like just a podcast scroll. You just scroll through our list of episodes. That's really all we have. It is not the most efficient way to see what we have to offer to browse our episodes. There's no like categorization or tagging. And we're not alone. And this is just how pretty much every YouTube channel, every podcast operates. Some have, most shows have this problem lesser because, well, they haven't been around as long and don't have as many episodes. But some have the problem larger because they have even more episodes. And how do you know where to start? And how do you know where to go if you're looking for a specific topic? So something that's rolling out for subscribers, patrons, or those of you who subscribe to us on Spotify, you're going to need to email us and we'll send you manual access to this. But if you're on Patreon, you'll have a link there already. And it's a categorized full list with tags, every episode we've ever done, what platform it's on, who's in it, whether it's guests or whether Sean's in it, whether Shea is in it. There's a few without me. That's notated. Just all the little details like that. We're, we're expanding what details are included, but it's already got a lot. It's a really useful way to sort through our back catalog. Yeah, no, I am working on that. Right now, it's just an episode database, but I would like it to be even more thorough. And I'm working. It's it's a good way for me to learn some skills I'd like to learn about how to code this differently. But yeah, anyway, so if you are interested in databases or anything like that and want to talk to me about this, please reach out to me. Yeah. It's amazing what a resource, a search of Ice and Fire is. Yeah, and right? I would like, like, I would like a really... search of Ice and Fire kind of thing, but for our podcast, yes. yeah. Which episode <laughs> exactly, talks about right. this? Yeah, so it's, it's... And I imagine something like that might become immensely more valuable when the next book comes out. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. The more, yeah. Start well, here, like, I just want to, to wet your, to get your guys thinking about one of the things, I, 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 one of the things that will be coming from this is that conceivably, we have all these quotes in our episodes, right? It's pretty relatively simple if to code in a way that I could make it so that you could search ever and you could you could search and see every time in an episode of ours we mentioned Catlin quote. Just every time a certain Catlin quote came up across all of our episodes, if you were looking for that, for example. So I think that's pretty exciting that in terms of the search of ice and fire element to it. Because we have transcripts and we have episode documents. I mean, this is something that'll be coming a long time. But for now, you can t- check that out on Patreon and see the database part. But I want to make it so that it searches our transcripts and our episode docs, essentially. Yeah, so more to come on that. We're, this is just the beginning of us rolling it out. We'll be talking more about it and, and making it a little more prominent later. But if you're already a patron, you can go ahead and start using it. And if you 
have sent us a donation or are a subscriber on Spotify, email us and we'll give you the link. Yes. We don't have a, we don't have a way to get it to you any other way at this time, but if something becomes available that way, we'll, we'll make that thing. So for now, we'll do it manually. It's pretty simple. Send us an email. We'll, we'll respond quickly and give you that. Let's complete our wrap-up today. Trivia question. Four different women have used the phrase, only death may pay for life. Those four women are Melisandre, Celise, Mary Mazdur, and Daenerys. Only one male does. Who is it? Jockin? My, my, oh, oh. It's Jockin Agar. Who are you, who are you gonna, who, who was your guest? Let's get Kyburn. Oh, okay. But with minimal confidence. A few yeah. people guessed him, not Kyburn, guessed Jaken. You notice I said male, not man, because he's a shapeshifter. Yeah. He's probably a man. But anytime you have a shapeshifter, you can't be entirely sure of their actual gender. <laughs> yeah, that's what some people said. Some people guessed Jaken, but then someone else was like, well, I didn't know if we could say Jaken because he's a faceless man, so we don't really know if he's a man, et cetera. Yeah, that's um, why I said it, he said it. He was a male when he, he said it. He was a male when he said it, yes, yes. So. Anyway, and he said it. The context was that he saved Arya. Uh, Arya saved him and Rorge and Biter from burning to death. And so he says, well, I owe you three lives. The Red God must have his due. We stole three lives from Relor. We didn't say Relor. He said the Red God. Same thing. Got to give him back. <laughs> Only death must pay for life. So that's a different take on Only death must pay for life. That's like the gods will have their due. It's different than a ritual or, you know, you kill someone and immediately someone else comes back to life. This is more metaphysical. Like the gods are not going to forget about this debt you owe them. Uh, definitely different, different approach, but still result, still kind of hinges around or orbits around a higher power's acceptance of, of what's happening or permission. And again, it could just be the difference in how a magician from one land interprets it differently than a priest from another land, yeah. but it's the still fundamental power is at work. Their, their ritual or their understanding of it might be different, but it's still the same thing. Another reason to sign up for our Patreon is to join the voting processes that happen frequently. Next week, we're going back to characters. We had fun with Thoros. We're going to do a historical character this time. The poll was Harwin Strong, Aemon the Dragon Knight, Marjorie Tyrell, and Elia Martell. The winner was Aemon the Dragon Knight, our only ever Targaryen Kingsguard, one of the greatest warriors who ever lived in Westeros. Great story. Lots of parallels to Jaime and... Lancelot in the real world, <laughs> real world stories anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so those characters will get other chances to get an episode made about them. And if you want to see that happen, well, sign up for Patreon and give them a vote when that rolls around. In this episode, we mentioned a lot of our other episodes. You can use a Shea's sorter to find them uh, or just scroll and find them yourself. Valyrian Steel episode, the Lost Valyrian Steel with Thomas Pappas, our Septon Barth episode, of course. The Ash Eye episode, the Great Empire of the Dawn episode, which was sort of companions of each other. And I recommend the Ash Eye one first, and then the Great Empire of the Dawn. Valar Reredus chapters, especially the Danny ones. Those in particular are available separately from the rest of Valar Reredus. So you can check those out. That's another Patreon slash Spotify subscriber perk. Our Valar Reredus episodes on Valyria are very relevant. Our patrons only episode on Gagasos. House Manderly part one, where we talk about some of the ancient blood magic tangential related stuff that happened in the ancient north and of course i mentioned our interview with george r, r. martin there isn't that much in there about blood magic but if you wanted to hear the exact wording of, of what he said and when he brought about brought up blood magic and incest mm -hmm. you're going to want to check that out plus it's just a really good interview george is george and 
We got an hour, almost an hour and a half of him, and it was a great time. And worth saying that if you're trying to sort through all of our episodes and you don't have access to that episode database yet or whatever, there's two options for you that I think are useful to trying to get through our episodes. One is our website. There is a search bar. It isn't infallible, but it is a help. There is that. We have a Valorita, you know, set of pages that go through the timestamps to each chapter on the website as well. And on our YouTube channel, there's playlists there. We can't do playlists on easily for the podcast side, but we can do YouTube playlists and you could just, you know, kind of use that. If you were, if you wanted to listen to the podcast version, you could still go to like our magic playlist on YouTube and be like, oh, here's the list of all the magic episodes. Let me go find them on podcast. But yeah. we're trying to find a better long-term solution for This y'all. would fit very squarely into our religion magic series. We don't calling it religion and magic, blood magic. But yeah, it's yeah, but it'll go in that playlist. Yeah, it'll go in that playlist. And so, yeah, you could then look at all that whole, anyways, so yeah, YouTube does have playlists for you to, to look through. It's kind of a fun thing to see how we categorize things, I think. Yeah. And certainly y'all are welcome to suggest new playlist ideas. We just, whatever well, makes sense to us, House on. History and all the other stuff. Yes. So yeah, whatever we can do, we're happy to expand on. Thank you to those of you who came live. We really appreciate your presence. A lot of really good comments and questions. The good participation was particularly strong today. Yeah, I think blood magic got people feeling it. Were, <laughs> y'all were in the mood for, for this topic, I think. Yeah. It, good it, job for voting this. It did win the poll it was in. It won pretty handily. Even though some, the, even though it was an entirely supernatural topics poll, this one was beat out some other ones like the undead and the dream, the, the passing down of Aegon's dream. And I forget what the other one was. Oh, direwolves. Yeah, that was mm. the other one. So those topics as well. We'll have another shot at the apple, another bite at the apple, a chance to get Nate into full episodes. So let me also thank Nina for her great notes. A lot of great takes on the conception of blood magic and how it plays a role in the story and keeping us grounded on some things, but also keeping the magic included where it belongs. Thanks as well to Joey Townsend, Jesse Koval, Brand the Builder for music and video assistance Music production, video production, y'all are the best. Michael Klarfeld as well. Can't forget him. He made these maps you see behind us. He made our original video intro. And he just finished another movie, a 35-minute yeah. film. What What is it called again? Something, something for like Wayward Girls. Oh, yeah. Tropic Girls, Miss Saint something, St. Saint Lucy's. St. Lucy's Home for Wayward Girls. It's, it's or for Lycanthropic Wayward Girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The title is tricky. <laughs> yeah, what is it again? St. Anyway. Lucy's Home for Girls Raised by Wolves. Yes, there it is. There it is. It's, it's based <laughs> on a short story by Karen Russell, an American author. And it's really funny. It's really funny. It has really good like sound mixing and sound effects, good acting from the kids involved. But, Michael's like, in it. Michael is in it. It's got like, I mean, it was, it was moving in parts like I, I, yeah I don't know I, it was, I thought it was very good yeah, and we honestly, watched it on Monday I, yeah. it's hard for me to say because like it, it was it's in German with like English captions so I can't say if the acting was good or if I just can't tell bad acting in German but <laughs> seemed good yeah the, 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 like it's all like Michael's students and stuff and like they were good yeah, they like that for regularly forgot that they were not Werewolf girls. It was good. It <laughs> yeah. was, I was so impressed. Look at that kitty Sean's got. Oh, yeah. How sweet. A void. It's like part of his shirt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Eyes. A... Your shirt has eyes, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so thanks, everyone. You know what to do. We will see you next week for Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight. Until then, Valar Revitas. <laughs> <laughs>